episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. Oro Recovery is located in sunny Southern California. It was created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and the other Bob. Their mission, to create a treatment center that helps addicts and alcoholics by treating them with connection and compassion rather than control. Their staff has many decades of experience in treating mental illnesses co-occurring ones, including SMI. They make sure that your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is very important when you're kicking heroin or meth or crack or alcohol or benzos. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. Everyone that we know that has been to Oro loved it. So if you're willing to go to sunny Southern California and you need help, I can only suggest going to Oro. It's changed a lot of lives. It could change yours. Check it out at ororecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Sober Buddy. Sober Buddy is an incredible thing. It is an app. It is a platform. But probably most importantly, it's a community. Its mission is to help you get sober and to remain that way. Sober Buddy does around 12 Zooms a week. I host the Zoom on Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock. I think that's a Beatles lyric. Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock we do Sober Buddy. Anyway, the Zoom is great. The people are great. Sober Buddy helps people. Check them out at the App Store and the Google Play Store or online at YourSoberBuddy.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Evolution Accounting and Consulting, 
a full-service accounting firm that can help with your taxes, your bookkeeping, your payroll, and almost any other business need you may have. Thanks to the wonders of technology, Evolution Accounting and Consulting work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take that off your plate, you'll be free to focus on what you love to do. And perhaps more important than anything else, the firm is run by a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now and knows the struggle as well as the success. Use promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by The Phoenix. The Phoenix is an incredible free app for sober people. If you have 48 hours of recovery, of sobriety, of clean time, you are eligible to go and participate in the Phoenix's world of fun. They have hikes. They have pickleball. They have CrossFit classes. They have music events. They have fun, fun, fun stuff to do because the nice folks at the Phoenix believe a huge important part of being in recovery is to have fun. So go to www.thephoenix.org and check out their classes, their CrossFits, their hikes, their pickleballs, and all the other fun stuff that they offer. I have been to Phoenix events. I know the people. They are good people, and there's a lot of fun, and it's free www.thephoenix.org check them out hello and welcome to dopey the podcast on drugs addiction and dumb shit and my name is dave and i am in the home studio, in the dopey studio, somebody from AA just texted me a list of fireworks that they're selling, and I think I'm not going to buy any. You know, I've never bought fireworks. One day I'm going to buy fireworks. Should this be the year that I buy fireworks? Maybe it will. I don't know. If you have an opinion about me buying fireworks, please send an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Um, the mantra I was always brought up with was Jews shouldn't use fireworks. I don't know why, but they shouldn't. Uh, I, I, or I'll burn my hands off or I'll, you know, explode myself, my eyes. I'll burn my eyes out with fireworks. Anyway, I'm very excited. It's a brand new episode of the show. And, uh, yay. We'll do a little vapey. Hope everybody is doing well. I'm just going to say this really quickly. I don't like to be all weird and preachy, but this is a show about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. People consider it to be a recovery podcast, and I just want to say I'm in, like, high recovery gear. I just want to put that out there. If anybody's struggling, if anybody feels like their recovery isn't where they want it to be, if you're getting high, whatever, it's a big cliche. You ready? Just brace yourselves. If you put your recovery first, shit is going to get better. It gives you that opportunity to put shit either 
in acceptance or gratitude. I'm in a good spot, so I just want to put that out there. And I'm in a good spot because I'm I'm active in my recovery, talking to addicts and alcoholics. I'm going to meetings. I'm talking to my sponsor. I'm fucking talking to sponsees. We're doing Zooms. I'm in, fucking all in. I also think I want to say that the reason I got all in was because I wasn't doing good. I got into a thing with a friend of mine. I got greedy at work. I got fearful about the show. I was not in a good place, so I needed to to do some work. And my point is, again, I don't like to be preachy. My effort in my spiritual life, in my recovery life, paid off, and now I feel better because I've taken action. And that's that's all I'm going to say. That's it. And if this is too cheesy for the show, write in an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. But that's it. So I'm going to get that out of the way. We've got a very, very exciting show, a very dopey show, big dopey show today. We've got Zach Clark, who was the winner of The Bachelorette in 2020, probably the only IV heroin addict to ever win The Bachelorette. So let's hear it for Zach. And we have uh, the much-coveted, highly controversial return of Fentanyl J. Shout out to Fentanyl J, Vape Knox. I don't know. This Fentanyl J appearance might, you know, I don't know. It's going to be a polarizing appearance. But real quick, Dopey Day is approaching. We celebrate Dopey Day on August 16th, which is Chris's birthday, which is why we call it Christmas on Dopey Day. So on Dopey Day, we all put the Dopey logo over our eyes on social media in solidarity around addicts, paying respects to people we've lost, throwing respect for people that are still using, you know, throwing respect for people that are sober, and basically saying, you don't know who's an addict. And uh, we want to, quote unquote, end the stigma, all that jazz. And we want to, like, you know, we have a, I hate all this fucking talk about safe space and ending the stigma and yada, yada, yada. But I think it's cool if everybody puts a Dopey logo over their eyes in honor of Chris on August 16th. The Dopey Street team is back and in effect. The Dopey Street team, with all due, shout out to the Dopey Street team members. With all due respect to the Dopey Street team, the Dopey Street team has never, you know, been really high functional. We've been a low functioning street team. This year, I need dynamic ninja level street team members. We're going to have a meeting next week. I want to see you guys there. If you are interested in joining the new dynamic ninja level dopey street team, hit me up at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Dopey street team is doing big things this year. Everyone should be getting very ready. Really quick, I just want to say this. I haven't told anybody this. I had a dream last week that I took ecstasy and made out with Kat Marnell. The crazy part is, like, I remember it pretty well. I was I was actually totally tripping ecstasy in the dream. And, uh, and Kat Marnell and I made out a little bit in the dream, and she complained that she didn't like how I kissed her. And that was, uh, it was a crazy... And I remember in the dream, I was like, fuck... I'm relapsing and I do this podcast about recovery and I'm going to have to tell everybody I'm relapsing. And then not to mention my family, I would have lost my family for making out with Kat Marnell. So I was really excited to wake up from that dream sober and having not made out with Kat Marnell, not to mention that she complained about 
the way I kissed her, but that's a whole other thing. I had to mention that on the show. So I had it had to come out. I got a voicemail from a woman named Dove. We've heard from her in the past. She was friends with Andrew, the famous hippie hobo huckleberry farmer who tragically overdosed years ago right after he decided to be a dopey intern. This is a voicemail and an email from Dove. She was very close with Andrew. So let's give a quick big shout out and rest in peace to hippie hobo Andrew. Big shout out to his mom, Kim, if she's listening. And here's Dove. Hi, Dave. This is Dove, hippie hobo Andrew's friend. Um, I've been meaning to send this forever. I actually did record one a couple months ago, uh, but it was way too long. So I'm going to try to make this one shorter. Um, yeah, I I wrote you about six months ago now, I think, when I completely by happenstance came upon your interview with Andrew. And it was while I was actually doing, you know, trying to track some information down about Ibogaine experiences because I had just signed up to go to an Ibogaine clinic in uh, Cancun, Mexico in January. So I wanted to give you a little update on my experience because uh, I know people are really curious about Ibogaine and they should be because it was fucking incredible and everyone should know about it. It was just like the most profound and transformative experience of my life and it was the best decision I ever made to go there. The clinic I went to was incredible, very safe. Like there's not that many high quality ones out there. So definitely if, if you're thinking about doing it, do your due diligence and make sure it's it's a safe place where people are in it for the right reasons. But like with the proper preparation and integration and like hard work, it's not a silver bullet. Like I still had cravings after it. I didn't for a few weeks, but then they came back. Um, but I fucking worked my ass off. <laughs> and like the Ibogaine was just this huge step forward. Like it, I heard people say this before I went and I was like, that sounds like a bunch of bullshit. Like, but it truly felt like years and years of therapy in just a couple days. Um, the first part of it was very challenging, very heavy. I mean, I saw it showed me a lot of things that I had done in my drug addiction that had hurt me or hurt other people, but I was just able to, like, see it from this different perspective where I could, like, have compassion for myself for the first time in, like, so long. I mean, it really opened my eyes to how much I hated myself. Like, I knew rationally, it's not my fault, you know, this is, like, I'm not a bad person, but like deep down, I, I really still felt like it was my fault and I was a bad person. And that's why I hid it from everyone around me. I was so deeply ashamed. And uh, I also saw myself kill myself. I threw myself off a cliff and I can still like see the hair streaming up behind me. And, uh, and then I saw like a vision of my parents in my house in Montana where I'm subletting a room and my housemate was showing them where my stuff was downstairs and they were moving it out. And my mom was crying because I was gone. And I just felt like, God, how could I have ever felt that way? It felt like I just didn't see a way out, you know, like life wasn't worth living anymore. And I just, I don't feel that way at all now. I mean, after it, like, I felt like a newborn baby. I was just smiling and smiling. And, like, it felt like the first time I've smiled and really meant it in so long. And I just felt like a child again. Like, I could just see how beautiful the world is 
because we forget that when we become adults, because people hurt us and we become distrustful and we start to take things for granted. But I could just, it, yeah, it didn't feel like I was high. It just felt like I could see that all again. It just, like, renewed it for me. And I just had all these insights about myself, like, one after the other, like, the insight that you'll have in therapy that's, like, you know, oh, this is why I'm so scared of that or this thing happened to me that really had a profound effect on me and I never acknowledged it before. It was just, like, that one after the other, bam, bam, bam. I wrote, like, 35 pages in my journal trying to get it all down. And also, Dave, I had to tell you this. I fucking saw you, dude. I had saw you in my Ibogaine experience. I, You were, like, sitting at a table talking into a microphone. You were wearing a black dopey hat. And I don't remember what you were saying. I don't know if I could even hear what you were saying, but I just, like, had that image. Um, so I thought you'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to tell you that is very heartwarming is that when you, I think you told Andrew's mom, Kim, that I had written in a letter and she listened to the podcast and we'd been in intermittent touch via text, like I'd text her on Andrew's birthday, but um, I never met in person. And when I went home for the holidays right before my treatment, I went and got lunch with her because she lives in the Northeast too. And it was just like so wonderful and so beautiful and we've just we've been in touch ever since then you know so like we talk on the phone and she'll text me every few weeks to see how I'm doing and it just like feels so good to have that bit of a relationship with her and like this connection to Andrew um so that's been really wonderful I'm going to try and get her to come to DopeyCon with me in October <laughs> but I'm at five minutes so I'm going to sign off um stay strong Dopey Nation I love you. I really love you. If you're, like, using right now and you fucking hate yourself and just know that it's not your fault, you're not a bad person, and I love you. And uh, toodles for Chris. That's Dove. Um, Very inspirational. Very lovey-dovey, hippie business. And she she had the Ibogaine experience I wish I had had. She also tacked on a note that I want to read. She wrote, I didn't have enough time to mention this and so much more in the voicemail, but I also wanted to say that since my Ibogaine experience, I have totally rearranged my life around staying clean. I left my job as a wildland firefighter out west and moved across the country to Asheville, North Carolina, where I entered an IOP and started going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings. There is an amazing recovery community here in Asheville, and it's a big part of why I stayed. 12 Steps and the fellowship have been such a crucial part of my recovery. The first meeting I walked into, I swear it was the first time I haven't felt alone in so long, and something about being in the South maybe, but it's like church and a party at the same time. Some days I have a sponsor, a step study group, a book study, and so many people ready to be there for me if I reach out. I would have never been so open to NA before my Ibogaine experience. I would have been rolling my eyes thinking these poor fucks can't see they've been duped they're in a cult i don't feel that way at all now i think it's beautiful and i've gotten so much out of it truly i believe that people need to know about ibogaine and the importance of doing it effectively and safely it changed my life and i saw it transform a lot of other people during my stay in cancun which sounds lovely when combined with adequate preparation and integration healthy coping mechanisms good therapy, movement practices like yoga and qigong, 
It's just like this huge head start on recovery. If you play my voicemail and have time, maybe you could read the above paragraphs. Or maybe you could interview me about my Ibogaine experience for the Patreon. I feel like people want to hear about it. Uh, many are very intrigued by Ibogaine. I know I was. Love you, Dave. Toodles, Dove. Thank you, Dove. That's awesome. Like, I, I people take Ibogaine. If you don't know, it's a root, uh, I think, from the Amazon that gives you a profound psychedelic experience that's proven to help heroin and opiate addicts to recover uh, in this weird psychedelic spiritual kind of way. We are definitely going to do a Patreon with Dove. And um, yeah, I was so interested in Ibogaine, which is why I did it. I did it in the exact wrong way. I had them ship it to me. I took it by myself and I did not have a beautiful experience. Um, but I'm so interested and I love this incredibly positive message from Dove. This has been a very recovery-focused beginning of the show. I hope you guys are okay with that. Dove also gets fucking dopey socks. Uh, if you send in a dopey voicemail or dopey email and it gets played, you could get dopey socks too. Wouldn't that be special? Wouldn't that be nice? Dove also mentioned DopeyCon October 7th. Tickets are about to go on sale. We have a lot of exciting stuff. The lineup is taking shape. The format is coming together. It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty amazing. So get ready for DopeyCon October seventh. If you need to start arranging your life, book block book block out October seventh on your calendar. It's gonna be sick. And uh, and Dove also mentioned Patreon. I have gotten into this crazy groove. I've put something on Patreon every day for a while. Handsome Evan returned to Patreon. Ray is back in a Raytreon special, plus many sightseeing New York City videos. A lot of just for today's. Go to Patreon if you want to support the show. It's the best way to support the show. We're doing a gigantic dopey Patreon Zoom at the end of the month. So please come if you're a Patreon member. And if you are looking to get your shit together... I need to also say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by BetterHelp. It is a rough time of year. It's the end of school. It's kids. It's barbecues and parties and whatever. And it is so easy to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you. And you never get a minute to take care of yourself or what you need from yourself. But when we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burnt out. And therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting your people without leaving yourself behind. It's a, it's a balancing act between what you can give and how you can feel better. And therapy can help you feel better. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast and get 10% off your first month. That's better, H-E-L-P, help.com slash dopeypodcast. Go get some help amazing. All right, before we get to Zach Clark, who runs an amazing place called Release Recovery, 
We are going to read this thing from Andy. He said, what's up, Dave? Longtime listener. My name is Andy. I reside in South Carolina. I grew up in Connecticut. I am about to be 43 years old this week and wasted a good 20 of said years to opiates. All started with smoking weed as a junior in high school. That's when I did, too. Harmless, they say. Then one night in college, some friends said they were going to take some ecstasy and go to the strip club. I skeptically decided to give it a try because at that point I was not a druggie. I just smoked a little weed every day. The ecstasy was amazing, and so I began partaking pretty much every weekend until I failed out of college. Then one night we were going to head out to the club, because, but nobody could get any rolls. Instead, someone found these little yellow pills with a 40 on one side and an OC on the other. So we tried them instead. I think I left my body. To this day, I can still remember the warmth that overtook me and the itch that I grew to love and chase after. It was heavenly. And after that, uh, it was opiates on the daily for a good 15 years. Oxys, Vikes, Perks, Roxys, Dilaudids, Morphine, you know, anything I could get my hands on. I lied, stole, cheat, sold Coke to support my Oxy habit. You know, the same story you've heard thousands of times by now. I had one of those little gram glass jars that most people used for Coke. I would keep mine full of crushed up oxys and do bumps all day long. I would crush up lines on the dresser next to the bed so that in the morning I could just wake up and snort me a line to start my day. Oxy had me by the balls. Eventually I turned to heroin when the pills got insanely priced. I did a few stints with the methadone clinic until ultimately I ended up getting the sublocade shot about three years ago and returned to my childhood faith in God and have been clean ever since. Loved the show. Started listening in September of 2022. I've gone back and started from the beginning. I'm up to episode 195 as I write this. Condolences for Chris, Todd, and all the others who have lost their battle. Keep up the good work and stay strong, Dave and fucking toodles for Chris. And that's Andy. Andy, get some dopey socks. Andy, send me your address and you get dopey socks. Everyone out there, Send in a voicemail, make it fucking dopey. Send in an email, make it fucking dopey, and uh, and you can win some dopey socks. Oh yeah, we also have those those dopey bad brains hats, the Dodgers hats, the Knicks hats, the Mets hats. They're very limited, so if you want one, just write me at dopeypodcast at gmail and we can arrange that for you. And we're gonna get Zach Clark on, who has a real. Real dopey fucking story, but before we do, I just want to say that to all the opiate addicts out there, Lucimira is a non-opioid prescription medicine used in adults to help with the symptoms of opioid withdrawal that may happen when you stop taking an opioid. And this is why Lucimira decided to sponsor our show, because they know there's a ton of fucking opiate addicts in our audience. The journey to recovery from opioids can be difficult, but no one has to go through it alone. Adding Lucimira to your treatment plan can help. It is the only FDA-approved non-opioid, non-addictive treatment for the relief of multiple symptoms of opioid withdrawal. We know opioid withdrawal sucks. Lucimira just might make it better. However, Lucimira can cause some serious side effects, including low blood pressure, slow heart rate, and fainting. Watch for symptoms of low blood pressure or heart rate, including dizziness, lightheadedness, or feeling faint at rest, or when quickly standing up. If you experience these symptoms, call your health care provider right away. 
After a period of not using opioid drugs, you can become more sensitive to the effects of opioids. If you start using them again, this may increase your risk of overdose and death. Tell your healthcare provider if you take benzodiazepines, barbiturates, tranquilizers, sleeping pills, or drink alcohol, as taking these with Lucimira can cause serious side effects. The most common side effect of Lucimira include low blood pressure or symptoms of low blood pressure, such as lightheadedness, slow heart rate, dizziness, sleepiness, and dry mouth. Lucimira is available by prescription, and only a healthcare provider can decide whether the product is appropriate for you. To find a provider who is right for you and to get more information about Lucimira, visit lucimira.com or call 1-833-L-U-C-E-M-Y-R-A. And if you've done Lucimira, send in an email to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. It could work. Check it out. It could work. All right. A lot of stuff. Here we go. From The Bachelorette, more importantly, from his own outfit in New York City where he helps addicts and alcoholics to get and stay sober. The place is called Release Recovery. The man is called Zach Clark. Here's Zach Clark. And I'm in Chelsea at the headquarters of Release Recovery with Zach Clark, reality show TV star, fucking Release Recovery founder. And shockingly enough, he knew Chris. Welcome to the show, Zach. What's up, Dave? grateful you're here thanks for coming playing an away game you're coming to us how long have we been <laughs> trying to do this i think years i think there was probably we, we both have a part here i think i uh yes i bailed once maybe you bailed once yes. but here we are it's, here we it's, are it's round timing. three yeah yeah so and you and before we say anything else everyone in the audience is um are so committed to chris like any like it's crazy like how our show grew just from his death yeah like it was uh and not only this American life, but just people, I don't know, the week he died, everyone came back. You know, it was like he really affected people. So when I walked into this boardroom to sit down with you, you were like, holy shit, I knew O'Connor. Yeah. So tell tell me about your time in the loft real quick. Yeah, so I I got sober my second rehab stint. So I went to Karen out in Pennsylvania for four months. and I, I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. And there was all these options on the table. And I saw this New York Times article with Joe Schrank, right, who was the founder of, of, of The Lost. The uh, incomparable Joe yeah, Schrank. Yeah. And I was like, I want to go there. There's dogs. This guy looks kind of cool. Right. And so I showed up at The Loft in January of 2012. And, and I, like, I showed up in New York. I'm a Philly guy. I'm a South Jersey guy. I knew nobody. So that was my only lifeline. And I'm very grateful for that place. I mean, I, I do. I credit it with saving my life because... And through that, you know, you asked me, I mean, this is almost 12 years ago, 11 years ago. I met Chris. Chris was kind of around. You would know better about like whether he was sober or not during that time. And then obviously I start working in the field and I meet Arden. And I remember, I remember, you know, a few years ago getting the call that he had passed. And so like, it's just, this thing is so fucking brutal, man. Just, just takes too many lives. But he was not the manager when you were there though. No, no, it was Tina. I remember Tina and Tommy Blue Eyes from Queens, but he was kind of he was he was not the manager. I, I know that for a fact. I mean, unless I was still drunk, which I wasn't. But right, the, the <laughs> great my favorite Chris had crazy stories, but my favorite stories were him managing the loft, high on ecstasy, locked in the room, like using the clients' clean urine. <laughs> like it was like a crazy. Talk about a glowing endorsement for sober living, right? Listen, it can't. It can, I mean, when you have. You know, the inmates running the asylum once in a while, it's going to go bad. I'm sure you've seen it go bad a million times. And you, I'm sure you've seen it go well a million times. 
Yeah, that's one of the biggest, uh, you know, being uh, being a leader in this space, one of the hardest things is we are, man- like our leadership team is managing a lot of people who, who have their own shit, right? And we want to give them a safe space to do good work, but also be able to pull us in the office and say like, hey, this is what's going on. And so I would say our culture is pretty, pretty good here. And, and there's a lot of different, as we were talking about before the show, like pathways to recovery and ways to, ways to get this thing. So, but it's hard. It's hard. It's a, it's a whole nother set of issues in this work that is outside of just client care and the families and, and, and trying to get people well. Well, you want to have a magic wand, you know, everybody, yeah. and there's no such thing. But I want to say this, and I, I've heard you do a bunch of interviews, and I, and I haven't heard anyone say this. I love that you're an IV drug addict crackhead <laughs> that was on The Bachelorette. I love that so much. Watching a clip of you on The Bachelorette and knowing what you had been through. Yeah. And then you're there and you're all slick and the, and the chick is, is beautiful and, and you're, you won. And it's like, yes, an Ivy drug addict won The Bachelorette. I was like so proud. Right. How fucked up is it in that moment knowing everything that had happened? Like, does it fuck you up a little bit? I mean, the truth about my story is I'm really fucking proud of who I am, you know? And so, like, I've leaned into that shit. And, and, and I got so many questions coming off the show just about, hey, was it hard to tell your story? Was it hard to do this? I was like, That's my only story. Totally. Life got a lot easier when I stopped lying. So whether it's dating, whether it's on some TV show, whether it's just in everyday life, like, I'm going to be hopefully authentic and real about who I am. And if someone chooses to judge that or not like that or whatever it is, that's their own prerogative or their own shit. Like I don't, I don't need to, to run with them, but I do like, I have some, so I guess I was eight years sober at the time. And you know, so like I do, I think back to those last couple of days running around Camden, New Jersey, like literally man with a needle in my arm and a crack pipe in my mouth. And people I think hear that and get a little like crazy. And then they're like, but what does that really mean? And once, once you're able to get into it and explain to people that it's not really the substance, at least it wasn't for me. It was just like, that was my medicine. Right. They get intrigued, and then they're actually like, oh, this is pretty cool. This guy's pretty interesting. Well, I mean, I think it played a part in your winning because you. Sh- it's like she's like, oh, shit, you've been through something. Yeah. It meant something to her. But from, as, from another IV drug user, drug addict in recovery, I was just proud. I love to see IV drug addicts get to these places that not, we don't all get to. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So let's, let's hear the story. When's the first time you got high? First, so my first cocktail was... I'm going to lean back for this. Was Christmas Eve. I, I know, so like it was either 12 and 13 or 13 and 14. Basically, the year before, all the older kids had tried to like put me in a headlock and make me drink beer. And I went back to the party crying. I was like, this is like the worst thing ever. I can't believe people are drinking. Like, what does this mean? Like, you know, my brother was there and I'm like, is he going to die? You know, I had no idea what the hell it meant to drink a beer. And then the next, like I had 365 days to get ready for that moment. You know, like, and when it came again, I was like, yeah, give me one of those. So Miller High Life, I remember, champagne and beers. And I went back to the party where everyone was hanging out, my parents and everyone else. And for me, it was this crazy experience because I just, you know, kind of drank for the first time. I wasn't blackout drunk. They asked me what I was doing. I lied about it. Christmas Day went on. We got gifts. We got presents. And, like, no one ever found out. So that what that told me is I could lie and get away with it. And, and so like, the next 15 years, like that was just as much as I love to party, and do drugs, and I have some crazy fucking stories, the lying too was just such a huge part of the whole. That's the blueprint. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and also the no consequences the first time, yeah. I'm sure helped. Yeah. When when does it start like uh I'm realizing that you and Chris probably have a lot in common. Yeah. Like you're both because you, you came from a nice family, yeah. affluent family, Philly, South Jersey, yeah. right? What town? Haddonfield. So it's uh right right outside like Cherry Hill. Yeah. It's yeah, it's your typical country like the parents go to the country club and the kids go to the eighth green of the country club, you know, like, so they're drinking up at the club and we're drinking on the course. <laughs> and those are like glorious. I mean, it's a glorious way to grow up until like it catches you and it's still glorious. When does it, when does it start? It like- took me a minute, man. It took me a minute. Like, I like, you know, like this whole idea of trying to like manage my drinking or manage my drug use never crossed my mind. Like I just went until I ended up in rehab basically the first time. Like there was never ever this moment of maybe this isn't good. Maybe this isn't right. Let me let me hear about that. Like if you start drinking, when do you when's the first time you do drugs? And I just want to give a shout so, out to Release Recovery Espresso because it's really high quality. That's good. So we're gonna get fired up and talk about shooting dope. I love it. Um okay, so I mean, definitely high school is like bong hits. Apparently the high schoolers now are like doing coke and, and perks, which is blows my mind. We were, it was like, I had a very like dazed and confused high school experience. So, you know, beer bong in, taking bong hits, the whole thing, running from cops. Then I get into college and I remember, you know, you start to see some Adderall like lurking around, like, what is that? Some guys snorting Ritalin to stay up and study. So I was intrigued. Right? How committed to bong hits were you in, in your later high school and early college years? Very committed. We used to go, um, there was this video game. What the, hell, what the hell was it called? It was one of these golf video games, and we used to play birdies for bong hits. Like, if you got a birdie in the, in the, in the video game, you got a bong hit. And this is, like, mind you, before high school football practice or before basketball practice. So, you know, I was very, very committed. But I loved drinking. My first love was drinking. Like the 12-pack of Natty Light and the flask of Captain Morgan, once I had that for an evening, like we were ready to, ready to cut loose. I got you. And, uh, and when, when did, you, did you hit the Adderall and the Ritalin in college? Was that the thing? Yeah, so like college, I mean college, look, it's a lot of the same. It's drinking. Where'd you go to school? York, which is out in Pennsylvania. Right. And played baseball. And it wasn't all debauchery. Like I got through in four years. And you were like varsity baseball? Yeah, played baseball in What college. position did you play? I was a pitcher. And how, how can you do that and so many drugs and drinking? Well, like one, one of my biggest secrets about my, my high school or my college baseball career is I wanted to be a starting pitcher and not a reliever. And I was really built, like I'm a little crazy, so I was really built to be a closer. I was really built, built to come out of the pen. I'm a lefty, like whatever it is. But I knew if I was a starter, you only got to play once a, like once a week. That's why you wanted it. Yeah. So, so you I could, could schedule your fucking yeah, drinking around yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you relate, and 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 so my first couple of years, like my sophomore, junior year, I was a starter, and then they kind of put me in the pen my senior year, and and so whatever, I had a decent career. Did you have aspirations of uh, major league baseball? I mean, aspirations. I did have a couple tryouts after college, which didn't go well. I I basically got injured, but I was laughing because I was watching. I guess it was like is Adam Ottavino? This guy, I think he's still pitching for the Yankees was at the trial. Like he was right before me. I was like, this guy's really good. And then I got on the mound. I was like, I have no shot. Um, but I think he was the Cardinals first pick that year. So yeah, I mean, I had, I had like some, some, some loose, loose looks, but it would have been like a career variety. Like, thank God, you know, when, when do you start noticing, like maybe you're drinking more than other people? Like when, when does it start like kicking in? Like I was always drinking more than other people. Like that's, but you were managing it, managing it to the point of like every 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, I didn't remember a thing after 11 o'clock. And I thought that was normal until I think like my senior year, someone explained to me like, hey, dude, like that's actually not normal. Like I drink all night and I remember the whole night. I was like, oh, that's really weird. Yeah, why don't I do that? And then I met Coke, right? So Coke came in the picture like late, late in college, probably like junior, senior year. And I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like off to the races with Coke. It was like once or twice, three times a month. I remember doing Coke the first time because I woke up on a Sunday morning in my dorm room or wherever I was living at the time. And I had this overwhelming feeling of guilt. Like I couldn't stop thinking about my mom and dad because it was the first time I really felt like I did a hard drug. And you were doing the wrong thing and you were raised right. right. And it was like, I can't, yeah, I don't want to. This isn't me. I like how you describe meeting Coke like Coke's a person. Yeah. Though. It's not no, like it you is. were introduced. Yeah. So, uh, but did you love it the first time? Like who, who introduced you to Coke? Uh, there were some people around that had it, you know, like I'll leave it there. Some older guys, just whatever. You find yourself on a couch at one o'clock at night, you know, in the morning and someone puts it on the table and you're drunk and it's like, all right, I'll try it. But it's not like this is what I want to do with no. the rest of my life. No, I didn't fall in love with it. My shit came. So I graduate college. I ended up like my college sweetheart. I would end up marrying. Right. So that's my story. And she is lovely and ends up saving my life. But I end up leaving college, kind of moving back home, getting my first job. And I do that for about a year. And at my job, I, it was a really like a boiler room environment. And I'm drinking five nights a week. What was the job? It was like I was a recruiter, right? Like, like headhunting. And it was fucking great because they would just give me basically the number next to my name as long as that was fine. Like I had no rules. So I found the guys that drank and drugged the way that I did. And for that first year, it was just kind of like off to the races. My wife was happy because we had a couple bucks in the bank. And so it was like this perfect storm. Or my, my, my girlfriend, I guess, at the time. And then Memorial Day after my first year of working, I'm heading to the shore for Memorial Day and I get like I get really ill and I go to this like x-ray side of the road bullshit place and this lady takes an x-ray in my dome and she comes back and she's basically like you need to go to the hospital. So I'm in University of Penn Hospital within 12 hours getting a tumor cut out of my head. So let me ask you this, because I've, I've heard a little bit about it. Yeah. You don't think before the tumor you were really, really hard horrible alcoholic drug addict 100% I was but it was pre fucking serious consequence basically I was an alcoholic from the first time I drank there's no like that is a gift that I've been given in my sobriety is I don't question this shit uh -huh. the way that I drank or drank was obnoxious from day one it was just every last sip of booze was going to be gone I mean me and my buddy in high school like his parents had this liquor cabinet that was the size of this room. And by the end of high school, the thing, it was gone. Like we just, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah. it was just gone. I think it's like when I, cause I know a little bit about your story and I know my story and I know like, I was like a crazy stoner. Like I barely drank, but I yeah. was like a, an alcoholic stoner and I, and I smoked weed, like whatever. And it wasn't until I had a little career and I tried heroin that my my addictness really had a consequence. Right. And I know that your brain tumor story kind of reminds me of that shift. So you, they find the brain tumor. So I'll tell you, i say this. Before the brain tumor, I had probably done, you know, Perks, Roxaset, uh, Oxycontin a handful of times. And some of my other buddies were into it a little bit more than I was. And I was kind of like, this is bullshit. Like, I, I'm going to go to the bar and get hammered. And, you know. You didn't love it. I didn't love it. 
And then the feeling being in that hospital room is one that probably like guys, only like guys like you can really understand or guys like us, which is there's all these people around me. They're telling me how amazing this is, how I'm some kind of hero. I have this new lease on life. And all I can think about is getting out of there and like drinking. Hold on. It's amazing that they managed. How big was the tumor? It was small. So it was all my, it was, it was basically like what they call cavernoma. So all the blood vessels on the back of my head, like bird's nest and it begins to grow. And so initially they thought there was probably some cancer there. Like, and I got lucky getting through that. And then the recovery, I mean, I was in the hospital, I don't know, it was like 15, 20 something days and it was nuts. I mean, you're learning to walk and talk and eat and do all that shit again. But like literally every waking thought, I'm like, I can't wait to get out of here because I'm going to be able to drink like I really want to drink. Totally. What a crazy thing though. Like, what is it? Do you remember like having to relearn how to walk and talk and all that stuff? Yeah, dude, we were making, uh, I mean, first of all, these occupational therapists, like cheers to them. They're amazing. So I like every day it was, I would play memory, like the game memory, you know, like you flip over the card and then like, who, you know, doctor so-and-so is like, you know, and then we would make grilled cheese. Like we would be in the kitchen making grilled cheese. And that was every day for like two weeks. That's incredible. And before that, how bad, like your brain wasn't bad though when you went in. It was the open brain surgery that fucked you up. Well, yeah. I mean, like they're, you know, and I'm sure maybe there's a different way to approach it now that medicine has advanced however many, 12, 15 years. But uh, no, I mean, you can see the scar on the back of my head and. I know I knew something wasn't right leading up to that for about like the two weeks leading up to it. I was seeing kaleidoscopes and I wasn't sleeping well and I was really tired and, and whatever it was. But then it all made sense when this lady said there's something growing on the back of your head. And then the main thing that happened was, you know, I was getting delauded every four hours and I was like, this is fucking amazing. Wow. Through the through the IV. Yeah. IV delauded in the bag. And this and that was like, yeah, in the hospital. I mean, like, yeah, I like this. My mom was dying of leukemia in the hospital and, and she had to stomach my drug addiction mm -hmm. for, you know, 15 years or something. Yeah. And they start giving her Dilaudid and she like laughed and looked at me and she said, I think I understood. I understand more now. Amazing. So so you get out of the fucking hospital. Do you have a habit? Do they make sure you don't have a habit? No, they don't. make. I mean, like. That's my problem with doctors. No one ever sat me down and said, hey, we're going to give you this drug. It's going to feel really good. No one said that. No. It's going to feel like that. If I had to like go into hospitals today and talk to people who are getting pain medicine, I'm like, we're going to give you this. It's going to make you feel really good, but it's also highly addictive. Yeah. So we're going to want to be really mindful of how we get you on it and manage the pain and then get you off of it. But for me, no. They sent me home with a couple bottles of pills and I- Of Dilaudid. Yeah, all of it. Uh, hydromorphone. Dilaudid's a very special one, though. Yeah, Dilaudid's nuts. It's, uh, it's, it's nuts. And, that, and that's really... So if you say, like, did I leave with a habit? I, I mean, I guess, yeah. You left with a habit and pills. Yeah. So then, so then what happens? So what happens? So that is, like... I always try to put the timeline together. That's, like, 07 or 08. And I come out of that experience, and my only... My, my next best thought is to get married. Right. It's like I had this dramatic thing happen. My girlfriend stayed by me. And so I make the decision to propose. And we have this big ass wedding down at the Jersey Shore in June of 2009. It was actually the weekend Michael Jackson died. I remember it. So it was just like a Michael Jackson themed wedding weekend. Like I think four of my friends got DUIs. I mean, it was nuts. It was nuts. <laughs> now, when you proposed to her, was it very romantic? Was it bachelorette romantic? It was, it was like 
walking on, I mean, it was the most basic shit of all time. It was basically walking on the beach in Spring Lake, New Jersey, and I proposed, you know, like that. that okay, was, I have to ask. You no, know, I get like, it, man. No one, I mean, these are good questions. Like, they're, they're different than the stock podcast questions I'm used to, so it's good. Well, let's try to have some fun. You know, I, yeah. just, I want you to have as much fun as you can, and I think it's very important to really say this. You're coming up on 12 years 12 hopefully 12 in august yeah your life is helping addicts and alcoholics get better your life is not glorifying drugs so i appreciate you walking us down memory lane yeah from an addict's perspective yeah and because i just want to say that i know like i can see it's like on one hand you're like holy shit i i did all this and i remember it in two different ways and on the other hand it's like you don't want to glorify shit but i remember like for me and everyone's different early days in rehab early like i needed to hear the shit i needed to hear the stories you know like and hopefully because we've been through something and other people are going through it right. now and if there's one person living listening to this shit today when you whenever you air this and they hear it and they feel inspired to reach out for help then we did our job like that's it right definitely or i mean i feel like my job is only like to have someone be like i enjoy, i enjoyed that and i didn't feel alone you know what I mean? Yeah. I felt like I was with some people that I that are like me. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's all like when Chris and I were doing the show in the beginning, I was like, what is it? And then it was like I listened to it. I was like, well, I like it felt like I was with friends. Right. And as long as anyone feels like that, I'm happy. Right. Yeah, I don't need it to do anything else. But I want to get back to this. You decide the only way you decide you're gonna fucking propose to your girlfriend yeah. because what else are you gonna fucking do? Right. Well, that was like the life I thought I was destined for. You Suburban. wanted to have the life like your parents. Yeah. And you're, you have a beautiful girlfriend, yeah. you have the little job, and you know, you're know you out there, so why shouldn't it go exactly the little way? Dog, like we had, yeah, all of it. Was your dad a horrible, delauded addict when he proposed to your mom? Just no, out of curiosity. No, no, no. <laughs> my, my dad is uh, loves a Coors Light and a chicken wing, and like he'll stop there. Right, yeah. yeah. My dad would like drink a beer with spaghetti. Yeah. But that was it. So, okay, um, so you propose. Propose, and it's not that. I mean, the story is not that great. I mean, we I, I propose, we get married in June of two thousand nine. We go on the honeymoon. I remember, like, I was I definitely had a habit because I remember waking up on the day of my wedding and frantically searching for, like, whether it was Suboxone or like whatever was keeping me healthy, <laughs> quote unquote. Well, for for the day, yeah. uh, and then finding it because I had hit it in a blackout the night before. Like I hid the bag of drugs in a blackout the night before. And finding it's like the greatest thing that's ever oh happened to you. It's like, it's like the answer to every question. No one can understand. Because I'm at the Jersey Shore and none of my friends really know what's going on. So what am I going to do? Say, dude, you got to run home and get like, no. So who are you using with? Just alone? I was, yeah, I used alone. I mean, there's a couple people in my life that knew. Different levels, I bet. Yeah, but like. I like to use alone because I want it all for myself. And did all of it come through prescriptions? No, not dude. I was the worst drug addict. I mean, I had an X-ray and a and a and a and a scar on the back of my head that any doctor. I mean, this is when doctor shopping was prime off the hook. Yeah, but I was such an asshole. I bought it all in the street. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't doctor shop at all, and I could have. I was just lazy or dumb. All pills. Pills. Where? There was like drug dealers, you know, like just drug dealers in town, kids that were selling drugs, you know. And I mean, like, I remember it was crazy. Like the first Roxaset I bought, like the 30 milligram kind of pure, I think it was 20 bucks. And by the time I was done, I think they were charging like $35. I mean, it was nuts. It was an expensive habit. So anyway, I get married. We go on our honeymoon and I promise myself after the honeymoon, I'm going to like get my shit together. 
then obviously we know how that story goes. This is just temporary. Yeah. So I mean, June, June 09, and then I am in rehab for the first time by Thanksgiving of 10. So I make, I'm basically married a year. So give us that year. Like, what does it take to get you into rehab? And like, are you, when, are you still doing Coke? Did you find heroin yet? Coke is no heroin yet. No Coke. I, Coke never got me. Me neither. Like when these guys in New York, I'm like, I'm a fucking cokehead. I'm like, so you're telling me you do cocaine all day, every day. That just seems exhausting. Why do you think, like, I'm just interested in this personally. Like, what about Coke? I, I did not like Coke. I didn't like anything about it. I didn't like shooting it that much. I didn't like speedballs i didn't like snorting i didn't like any of it of course i did it yeah but i didn't what i never would seek it out i never would buy it why did you not like coke this is I, the most I profound all, question I'm, i've ever asked well why i'm, do you all, not I'm like already it? a pretty high strung pretty energetic right. pretty lively guy so you throw coke on top of that and it's kind of game over like my heart and my head don't handle it well it's all brain chemistry yeah and, and, and I think like the, the way people that I, the way that I understand, like a lot of people feel after doing cocaine is I think the way that I felt after doing perks, like that was gave me the, the, the gas, you know, I remember when I would do opiates in the beginning, how energized oh. it made me like I would be cleaning and I would be Dude. zipping around and I'd be focused. It's like, it's so weird how it starts one way and then it ends up a much different way. It's with anything though. It's with that. I mean, and it's still today. Like I'll find an energy drink and I'll be like, this is the best thing for like two weeks. Right. right. And then all of a sudden it stops work and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. But it's like, it's a anything in life. I mean, like it could be it an exercise and, routine. It could be like a TV show. It could be a meal. It could be a person works until it doesn't. I hear you. So, so lead us up to rehab. Oh my God. dude. I mean, this is crap. There's a trip that I, so I took a trip with my, ex-wife's family to Aruba. Okay. And you're totally strung out. I mean, I'm, I, I bring what I can, you know, I like in my head, I ration it out. How long I was, I was the worst. I was like, I would like, I would, I would bring, okay, I need 10 oxy eighties for five days. Right. Or whatever it was. I would be through the 10 by like day two, night three. (laughs) Right. right, 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 right. Oh my God. So that's what happened. So I get down there. I'm with her family. I run out of drugs and I start to get sick, like really sick, dope sick, which I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And so my only answer is to start drinking. Sick. Just. Because it's not going to make you well either. No. Sicker. (laughs) So I basically say I need to go to the hospital. I don't feel well. And I go, I basically walk off the, we were at like one of these all-inclusive resorts. I walk off by myself because in my mind, I'm going to go somehow convince someone to give me pain pills. This is the gallbladder story? No. Okay. The gallbladder story is different. This was a huge swing and a miss. I mean, basically, I, like, I ended up in, a, in, a, like, in a, a hospital in Aruba. They're like, we don't have that. We don't have painkillers here. We don't have... How can they not have painkillers? I mean, though? they just didn't. I mean, what they gave me was some swag, like, you know, I don't even remember what it was. I'm it surprised was, they don't just give you methadone. It was nuts. And so I, I, I go back to the hotel, and they're at this point, they're like, what is going on? The family. Yeah. This kid is out of his mind. And my wife, I think just like really was naive. And this happens to a lot of family members and we see it and just thought I was like gross and drinking too much. So what ends up happening? I, whatever that trip ends, I go home. Uh, you go home sick though. Yeah, I'm sick. I mean, I cop as soon as I land, wherever I land, like all of a sudden I magically feel better and I can get in the car and drive to wherever I need to drive to. Because you knew it was waiting. 
Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what the chemistry there is. Like that we can be so sick and then we know it's there and we feel better. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, I was talking to my buddy about that last week. It's like this, it's not even picking up. It's when you know you're going to be able to pick up that you start to feel better. You get that burst, that pre, it's like pre-contemplative. I I had a similar thing happen where I went to Jamaica for work and I brought like 10 bundles of heroin. I ran out on day like four or something. And then I got sick, sought out Valium. Stayed high on Valium and flew home sick, and the and the same exact story. You know what I mean? And when and then I got home and I got high. Right, right. I love those. I don't know why I like those stories so much. I just feel like when you're so hooked on a on on opiates and you don't have anything left, there's some weird fucking science fiction magic thing about being at death's door, taking this one thing and being full. It's like it's like nothing else is like that. It is. Uh, it's like a video I, game. I think the reason I love it is because I needed that level of pain. Like I needed to be that sick to be convinced that I needed to get sober. Okay. Like that. That's that for me. When I think about those moments, like I, I and when I see drunk people today, like people always say, like, "Can you be around drunk people?" I was like, "Yes, absolutely," because like they remind me how obnoxious I was when I was drunk. And I like some of the secondhand smoke. Like, you know. I, I mean, I go to an outdoor meeting. I like stand next to the smokers the whole yeah. time. You get back from the trip. You get high. How long before you're like, I got to go to rehab? Does your wife say you got to go? But yeah, I mean, that, that trip, I, I don't even remember like kind of when it was. It was at some point in 2010. And then the end of 2010, I am really, like, I have a really bad habit. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, blowing through all of our money, all of our cash with on, on pills, and I'm just lying about it. And I'm also in it with a bookie, like I'm betting, you know? So it was just this like kind of come to, come to Jesus moment where there was a night that I went to my dad's office and basically convinced him to pay off my bookie. And he said yes. So I was like, sweet. I drove home and I was kind of sitting on the couch of our house and my mom walked through the door. I was like, what the hell are you doing here? She's like, we know everything. What do you know? One of my buddies had saw my mom and my wife at the bar and kind of told, told them what was going on. He was worried about you. Yeah, but then I got him back like four years later because he ended up fucking being a drug addict and like, you know, we got him help. But so that's just the way shit goes. So he was worried about me. And uh, How pissed were you when you found out he told them? It was a great, I wasn't pissed. Because you were done. I mean, it wasn't that I was done. I just knew, like, I, like even, like, growing up, I, I was never, like, I never fought authority. I never, like, when I was yelled at, I was like, you're right. I was always, I always had that level of kind of, like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'm a fucking asshole. What I did, though, is I got in the car. I left. And I had seen this billboard for a treatment center down in South Jersey, Seabrook House. And I got in my car, and I drove that night to Seabrook House and, like, knocked on the door of the detox. Like you can't, you can't walk into rehab. You have to like call and be admitted and insurance. Sure. Like, All right. So I told my parents, I said, I'm sleeping in the, in the, in the parking lot of this rehab. Please get me in tomorrow morning. That's what I did. So I basically hung out in this parking lot in my car. And then were was, you sick or were you had pills? No, or what I, was, the I deal? was raging. I mean, it was a blast. That was the- <laughs> <laughs> 
the night before detox. Like I have all this. And yeah. Everything must go. Yeah. Well, and then I think it's also like you can talk your parents into having some money and it's just like, Oh, the, it's the best. Yeah, it like, is. It is the best uh, to, to, to manipulate your parents on the last night of what you think is the last night. Right. And so I ended up in the treatment center for 30 days. Did not, like I was Mr. I was like Johnny Rehab. I was like quoting the big book and I was leading the groups and you know, it's like you're the president of of of, of Bullshitters rehab. Anonymous. Yeah, like whatever it is. And like how is that the first time you had heard any of that stuff? Any though? of it. And you absorbed it immediately. I didn't absorb it. I was I thought I had absorbed it. Like I was I was I was an athlete. So like being a part of a team or being a part of something felt really natural to me. And I was like, oh, okay, I get this. Like we're gonna all kind of like do this together. I was into the stories. I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't the worst. There's people that are worse than me. And as an athlete, you, you people tend to do the next right thing. Right. To be healthy, to be supportive, to be enthusiastic. Hard work pays off. Yeah. All of those things in athletics actually works in recovery. Yep. I was never an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was missing that stuff. But um, all right, so you're, you get out of the 30 days. I get out of 30 days, and I'm loaded within like... I don't know, 10 days. But it was the craziest thing because I had heard about heroin in treatment. Of course, that's the worst. That's the, the stoner, the kid, the stoner kid in treatment that comes out and fucking does know, heroin. Dude, and, that, and I hate it because parents ask me about that shit all the time. They're like, who's, and I'm like, it's this or, 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 or let him keep acting the way he's acting, you know? And, and so it's really, really hard. And I think there should be an education in treatment around that, you know, like there should, that should be an open conversation. Like there are going to be people in this room that have done drugs that you haven't done. And like, that's okay. Like let them have their story. Don't it's, let it. There's no answer for that though. I mean, maybe the answer is you, especially cause I've heard you talk about legal weed and these, and the, the, the impact that, you know, this really, really potent THC has on young people yeah. and that they are like a big part of the next generation yep. in treatment. Maybe they need their own spot. Maybe they're not going in with the fucking Dilaudid addict or right. the heroin addict or the fucking right. crank addict and, and they right. can not get the osmosis of those stories. Yeah. You get the, what's the, what would you remember the heroin story you heard when you were in there that you were like, holy shit, I should just buy heroin? Well, there's two things that happened. I read, you know, like David Chef and Nick Chef, yes. right? Beautiful boy. Yes, and Tweak. I read Tweak. Yeah. I read Tweak. Yeah. And I was like, let's fucking go. Right. That yeah. book is good. I mean, it's good, but it's also. Do you like, know I'm, him? No. Yeah, he's very, I don't know where, he's a shadowy figure. But I was sitting in treatment, like reading this book. And I like, read it in treatment. This too. sounds amazing. Right. Like, I was intrigued. It was not like, don't do drugs. It was like, how do I get my hands on crystal meth? <laughs> Which I ended up choosing heroin. But anyway. He does heroin in that book, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, I mean, he's, yeah, speedballing the whole thing. And so that happened. And the, yeah, there were a couple guys in there that were shooting dope. So my story is this, and, and it was the craziest thing. I got out of treatment. I was good for a couple of days. I was going to meetings. I had, you know, some local guys that were like scooping me up. My wife was a teacher, so she was back at work. And I literally, I woke up on like a Wednesday morning and uh, said, I'm going to go to the liquor store. I went to the liquor store. I bought, you know, a big flask of vodka. I drank it in like two sips. I was like, that was awesome. Right. And in high school, we used to drive into Camden. And there was this drug set, which was basically the third dumpster on the right. And I remembered how to get there. So I drove drunk into Camden in my Chevy Malibu. And I pulled up to this third dumpster on the right. And sure enough, a guy came out in like all black clothes and said, what do you need? And I said, dope. 
and he took my money and I was like, I just got hustled. I, I was sure of it. And he came back in two minutes with a bundle of heroin. Any fear? Or you were too drunk to be afraid? <laughs> I was too drunk to be afraid. I was like, I was playing the Eminem recovery. Like that was when that, like, <laughs> it was like the most, that's it was like, the best. if you You're, picture rehab and like, just best. like the, the rehab kid, I'm like playing Eminem. I'm like going drunk. to buy heroin for the first time. I'm drunk. I'm overweight. <laughs> like, and I'm, but like, I think I'm the man. It's the best. I'm enjoying this story a lot. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you though? That spot in Camden, was that place always in the back of your head? No, it just came to me. Wow. It just came to me. I mean, it was where we would go to buy like a vial of hydro, whatever weed right, right, that we right. would throw in a Philly, right, you know. Right. The dank. Uh, no, it was not the dank. It was the opposite. It was like sprayed with raid and like, but they put it in glass vials. So we thought it was it looked, like. Yeah, I thought it was good. So you, you buy a bundle. These kids today have no idea the weed that we smoked. Like we walked so they could run. The shit that we used to, I mean, the seeds and the, I mean, it was horrible. Horrible. Well, it, like transported in the in the in the tire of a of a truck and yeah. it's fucking oh, compressed. Gross. No, so what happens? I get home that night. I don't even do the dope. I don't even do it. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna wait for my wife. Like I I I my wife goes to bed and I go out to the car to get it. And she so hears you're waiting the whole day. Yeah. She hears a deet deet. And so I get home and I I I don't know why. In the middle of the living room, like she's up in bed. I'm like figuring she's asleep. I lay out a line and she comes in the room. She's like, what are you doing? Oh my God. And so I started like spilling your guts. crying. Oh, yeah, 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 the whole thing. And then she took the magazine and ran upstairs and like, I'm going to go do this. And that freaked me out. Cause I was like, okay, she's like, like talk about like turning, turning the tables. Like, she's like, I want to know how it feels. I was like, please don't do that. So I like run up after she and like, had you done heroin yet? No. So you're like, I don't even know how it right, feels. Right. So she's in the bathroom and she turns around, she looks at me, she's like, You think I'm that fucking stupid? Like with tears in her eyes, like I'm putting in the toilet. And so that was the last night I stayed in that house. And God bless her, man, because she she was the first person to ever kind of hold me accountable. And uh, you know, I, I end up going on an eight month run that was just nuts. But she was gone. She was gone. And and did she throw away the whole bundle? No, I think I still had some in the car. I remember doing heroin the next day. And then it was like off to the races. It was kind of like, fuck it. And when's the first time you, uh, you shoot up? I don't know. Like, so if I was out there for eight months, it was probably like five months into that run where like, like we talked about earlier, like the heroin stopped working through the nose. And I was in a, basically like a crack house and some guy was shooting up and I was like, can you teach me how to do that? Jersey or Philly? Jersey. And uh, were you, was it like, because I mean, again, you, you come from this country club background. You, you were a, a, an athlete in college. Yeah. You, you like had your shit together. And you're, I mean, now you've been this overweight Eminem listening to alcoholic <laughs> buying heroin in Camden. Uh, how unnatural was the, was the needle? It was very natural. It was very, I mean, it was just the next step. When was the gallbladder story? That was pre-treatment the first time. Can you tell that story real quick? <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not that. I mean, basically, I woke up one morning. I was sick. The Eagles had played a game the day before. I thought I had saved drugs. I didn't. It was a Monday morning. I was supposed to go to work. I had zero dollars, and I was like, I need to get high. And so I called my buddy, and I acted like my 
stomach, something was going on with my gallbladder. And the genius of, of it, which I didn't even know, is that you can't really, like, the gallbladder, you can't really, they kind of, like, you make drink some shit and, like, they're like, all right, it, it, there could be something wrong with your gallbladder, but it's meaningless, so it's a great thing to fake. Did you, did you say, I think there's something wrong yeah. with my gallbladder? Yeah, I was like, there's something wrong, I don't know, I'm, like, having this sharp pain. And, like, within, I'll never forget it, they took me back in the ER and the the doctor that walked in was like, was from my hometown. Oh boy. So I was like, drugs please. He's like, hey Zach, how you doing? You know, like the whole thing. And I was like, this is sweet. He's not gonna say no to anything. And so I I got my gallbladder and I remember there was there was like a 12 hour, you, you can't do painkillers for 12 hours when they're gonna do this one test. And so I got sick while I was in the hospital, I remember. Did they know? No. I mean, I just was like... You are like, I need to endure I was this. Before they cut it out, so I was like, I'm in so much pain. Oh, my God, I need it. I need it. So they did the test, and then finally, like, I got high. I got, whatever, they gave me... It was Dilaudid. They gave me Dilaudid again, and then they did the surgery. And right before I went out, the doc was like, you know what we're doing today? I was like, yeah, we're getting my gallbladder cut out. And you didn't need the surgery? No. That's the greatest... For some reason, for me, that's my favorite story. I didn't need it. And, and there was need, nothing wrong. Do we need a gallbladder? No. Well, that's. Good. I mean, I, I mean, like, I haven't had it for for a while. You know, so <laughs> I'm here. Uh, I think it helps break down fatty foods, which I eat a shitload of fatty foods, and I feel okay. So we're back. You're shooting heroin. Uh-huh. Were you doing crystal too, or that didn't? No, happen? no crystal meth. I was never a crystal meth guy. I tried it like once. I was smoking crack and shooting dope. When did the crack come in? Like shortly after the heroin. And when coke didn't work, crack did. I didn't. I went right to, like, I was, I'm telling you, I was never a Coke guy. Right. But you didn't give a shit about the Coke, but it seems like you liked the, the crack. The crack was just like, it was just. It was up versus down. It, it gave was you a contrast. There. I mean, the, the crack is the worst, man. Cause like, it's so pointless and it just makes you so paranoid and, and, and I don't know, but it just got me. It got me like the dope got me and, and I still was drinking. I mean, I was full system. I mean, I always, throughout this entire story, I always drank no matter what. Like, I always had a beer or a cocktail in my hand. And was always along for the ride with everything else. Yeah, I mean, it started to get a little... It started to get a little bit more lonely. Like, I remember the 2008 Phillies World Series run, which was, like, insane, just pounding beers and running all over Philadelphia. Treatment, 09. And then I... And then, basically, I ended up back in treatment in, in August of 2011. So, my first treatment was 10. Married in 09, treatment Thanksgiving of 10, and then back August of 11. So I was not I, would, I was not very resilient when I was out there. No, and then like this run, how long did it go? It was eight months. From my first treatment to my second tr- treatment, it was, uh, it was about eight months. Where'd you go for the second one? Karen. And that was the one that worked? Yeah, I mean, I was there for four months. I stayed four months. Like, I mean, like I really... When I showed up there, I was so broken. I just said, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Before you get to the great comeback, what, could you give us anything horrible from the run beforehand? I mean, there was I, every day was horrible. Where were you living? Um, with my dad. I was oh living with my dad. My, my mom. So I was living with my dad and my mom. They're still like happily married today. They're my best friends. Said, I'm going to Florida. Like, they had a place in Florida. Like, I'm getting out of here. I can't do this. Because she could see it on you. She knew it. I, everyone knew it. But my dad was the one that hung in there. I, my dad and my buddy, this kid Anthony, that I grew up with, 
the two of them were just super resilient. Like they just kept showing up. And that's like what, like is so much of my work today is just you keep showing up for people. You keep showing up for people no matter what. And, you know, my dad made a lot of mistakes, quote unquote, as the doctors and the therapists and the, you know, would tell you. But I think he, I think he was brilliant. I think he hung on and gave me enough hope to, to, to get me to the place I need to get to. People would say he enabled you. Yeah. So what, so I think you the thing you need to learn about me is like, I'm not into the whole treatment talk, like enabling and don't date in the first year. And like, it's all fucking bullshit. Right. Except that you live with your dad and I know that you wound up trying to, how much did you get? Like, how much did he pay for in terms of your using in that year in that eight months, whatever. I mean, he had like, we were on some like allowance. I think I was getting a hundred bucks a day, which was going straight to the, the dope man. I was pawning shit. You know, like I pawned, I remember I pawned his 1965, like University of Miami graduation ring, which like at that point, back in those days, they made out of pure gold. And I walked in and the guy gave me like 1500 bucks for it. I was like, holy shit. Right. Like that was like jackpot. I have arrived. The best. I was like, and then then I'm looking everywhere for gold. Right. You know, and then I'm learning what, how to read the inside of rings and like check what kind of gold it is. And and, you know, it's just this. this You become an expert, a a precious metals expert. Right. And your dad, like. Is he pissed? Is he disgusted? Scared. Right. Just terrified. There was a moment we were driving somewhere one time. He like slammed on the brakes. And I, I, I'm, I've never seen this emotion out of him. He's just like screaming, like, are you trying to kill me? Right. Are right. you trying to kill me? And uh, shortly thereafter, I think, I mean, the, the, the last day, I'll never forget. I mean, I was trying to cash one of his checks and he, the, the bank teller called him and said, your son's here. You got to get here. And he walked in the bank and I was there like with two drug dealers sitting outside the bank to go. Dog and bro. Yeah. yeah were, that, yeah, were those yeah, their yeah, real yeah, names? Yeah. Well, I mean, not real, but real to me. Right. Um, Do you think they're, are they still out there somewhere? They were the best, man. And like the thing you learn about drug dealers is they don't do the drugs. It's a, it was their livelihood, you know, like they were sweethearts and they were just trying to put food on their plate for their families. I mean, like, I believe that. I don't think they, they knew the psychology either. Like, I don't think they knew the misery that they really were cranking out. You know what I mean? Probably not. But I would imagine it's a little bit different today being a drug dealer with the fentanyl because, like, they'll trace that shit back to you and then it's game over. Well, one of my, you know, he was a a friend of mine who's on the show all the time. We call him Fentanyl J, and he got busted uh, selling 5,000 fentanyl. Or he got busted with 5,000 fentanyl pills in Ohio, and they're they're just going to sentence him now. And, like, we don't know what's going to happen, and he can't get sober um he's not sober now he's drinking he's drinking he needs fucking help Mm. um and i love this kid but let's get back to you yeah uh you steal your dad's check you take it to the bank they how do they know it's bullshit i mean you know how you think you you can pull it off the thing i always laugh about when people get sober is we're so paranoid about people knowing that they're sober i was like bro what do you think it looked like when you were getting high like, I was living under this delusion that no one knew. Right. But there I was, 250-something pounds, haven't showered in days, like, in the middle of Camden. I'm this white, I stick out like a sore thumb, and she knew. I mean, it was so obvious what was happening. And she was a good employee. The best, Rhonda Jackson. I mean, she's my angel. And so, you know, we think that we're hiding it from everyone, and it took a bank teller, you know, three seconds to figure me out. And she calls your dad. You're waiting there. You're like, what the fuck? I'm waiting for my money. How much was the check for? I don't know. Five grand, two thousand five hundred. I mean, that would have been incredible. Yeah. That would have been incredible. I think it had worked once or twice before. And your dad comes. 
white as a ghost, just white as a ghost, and puts his arm on my arm and like says, son, we're going home. And home was treatment, and that was it. I mean, that was my last, my last beer, actually. It's an incredible story. So whatever, I went home for a day, and then we drove out like halfway to Karen and stopped in Morgantown, West Virginia, and stayed at a Holiday Inn me and my parents, and my last beer was a Coors Light. We cheersed it the night before I went to treatment. Like, we got drunk, me and my parents. And wow. Therapists hate this story, but I'm like, at this point, like, what are you going to... And so we cheersed, and I'll never forget, and that was my last beer. Why do you think it worked? Uh, do you think about that? All the time. Like, I mean, what was, do you think it was? How old were you? 27. That's amazing. Yeah. You were 27. Why do you think it worked? I think for me, I knew I had a lot of love in my life. I knew enough to know that if I just got my shit together, I'd probably have a pretty good existence. I don't know why I was willing. I don't know. I mean, and I asked myself, why me and not the other guy? Whoever. Every day, man. Every day. Because like, and that's the hardest part about doing the work that I do is, you know, if we go five for 10... Like, that's pretty good. It's amazing. I'm sure you think about it like as a pitcher. That's five families that are going to be upset or five clients that are going to be out there still using or, you know, like, and it's so that's where I get, I kind of get twisted up. It's like, not only did I get it, I think there's a lot of ways to get it. I think you can go to rehab and your life can get better and it doesn't necessarily mean you stop everything but i do believe that there's some people out there that go to rehab get a break and then maybe they can casually like i don't i can't i know that but casually what like drink or like you know like or like smoke pot or whatever like well is it that you can't or you know that like you're not willing to check uh, both like i i i mean i maybe it's a lie or whatever like i don't know that I couldn't smoke weed casually or that I couldn't I just be know. a pothead. I don't know any of it, but at this point I'm not willing to check. Yeah. I don't want to check. I don't want to know about it. I have it. no reason. I just know that if it doesn't work, I'm so fucked. It's, it's beyond. And you've built this whole fucking empire here. Well, that's why people are doing psychedelics. A lot of people in the recovery community are doing psychedelics now. And like for me, like I'm going to exhaust every option possible <laughs> to not do psychedelics. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't give a shit if you want to go do psychedelics. I've had people that have had like spiritual experiences and I've had people that have ended up in rehab 30 days later. So are you at all tempted? No. Is there anything about that? Did you ever, were you a psychedelics person? No, but like it feels like a freebie. Right. And you're like into meditation. You're into exercise. Yeah. This like, bufo that they're doing. Like they, on uh, the bufo aloe vera toad. Yeah, yeah. They call it toad. Yeah. Toad medicine. It's like, I don't know, man. Well, how, what do you think about it? I mean, like you're, you're, it's, it, I think it's really interesting for people in long-term recovery who work around recovery to hear about people eating toads or fucking ayahuasca, like whatever. Yeah. It's not for me. It's not for me right now, but it's not for me to judge someone that's doing it. Like, 100%. I, don't, I don't, I'm not here to tell people how long they've been sober. I'm not here to tell people like, I'm not counting your days. You know, I'm here to be helpful and hopefully like, you know, we can trudge this, trudge this path together, but it's crazy. It's interesting. You know, I'm not willing to put my shit at risk. Like, I don't want to put my shit at risk. I would love to try ayahuasca. I would love to eat MDMA like it was the good old days. I would love to, to smoke bong hits on my porch and listen to the Almond Brothers. But I, my shit was too bad yeah. for me to mortgage the shit that I have right now. Well, um, like, not, the, but like you, those are the moments where like you think of a guy like Chris. You know, I think of guys that I've lost in my life that, 
that had that same thought at some point that they could drink like a gentleman or go out and smoke like a normal person and they end up dead. Well, and that's so, us, like, right? That, that's our yeah, deal. Yeah. And so for me, like I lean into personally the abstinence-based approach. That's just for me personally. As a professional, I think, you know, I'm forced to expand my mind and, and, and look at the other ways that people are, are recovering and improving their lives. Totally, totally. And, and at what point does release recovery start? Where's the bachelorette in your story? Like, yeah. how does that all happen? So I, I started, I went, like, I, I, I was at The Loft, which is a sober living out in Williamsburg, which is still around today. It's called the Williamsburg House. Um, so Joe's legacy carries on. And Chris's legacy carries on and people are still being helped, which is beautiful. Uh, so I stay there for a few months and then I, I, you know, I like meet a couple guys in the recovery community and get my first job working in the field. And I do that for about five years. And then uh, in late, I guess, 16, early 17, start release. We, I, I leave the city. I go up to Westchester. I buy a house up there. And that's kind of still our OG 17 bed property up in Yorktown Heights, which has just been an unbelievable like for a town that didn't want anything to have to do with us. And now they welcome us with open arms. Like our guys all have jobs at the local gym and the, the seven, you know, like they're it's part just, of the community. Yeah. Cause they, people realize that sober people are the fucking best. Like we have curfews. We go to bed. Like we, we, like we, we, we are respectful. We're not loaded. We're not loud. We like, have lots of energy when we're not using. Yeah. And so and we need to do the next right thing or else we're screwed. Yeah. It's a good thing to have in an employee. How and how quickly did twelve step shit stick in for you? Where you're like, I'm doing this. Yeah, I mean, I don't talk about it in this form a lot because, like, I try, you know, like traditions and all that stuff. But like for me, um, that's still the answer for me personally. Where, when you got out of treatment, were right you away. just in and right then away. you just didn't stop? Right away. Well, I it's, mean, it's it's it's. I think what you said about just keeping on going is the answer to life. If you stop doing anything, your chances of being who you want to be are incredibly. I also, Dave, bro, I look at my life. I'm like, this isn't fucking possible. Right. Like, this isn't fucking possible. Like, if you and like, I don't want to go down the spirituality road or the God road. And like, you know, I'm not like my God is just like my protector or whatever you want to call it. But when I look at my life and my story at 27 year old, 27 years old, knowing where I was at. And knowing like the type of guy I was at that moment in time, I am alone and not powerful enough to make the shift that occurred. So something had to come in and create that shift for me. So now, whatever it is, 12 years later, when I think of that moment, I'm not willing to tempt fate and just like stop doing all the things. And, and like, look, it's been, my life has definitely shifted after I went on TV and that was a, you know, that was a beautiful experience. It was a beautiful experience in a lot of ways. One, like I truly fell in love. Um, she was a, a, a beautiful person and human and like, you know, two good people don't always make a good couple. And so like, how weird know, was it to fall in love on TV? It wasn't weird, man, because like I fucking live my life. Like everyone always says, was it real? Like, yeah, it was real. It was real for me. You know, like I always laugh, like some people will say like they got a bad edit or whatever it was going for me. You're not, you're not able to edit what I don't say, you know? So if I just go there and I'm myself and, and, and I'm pure to who I am, that I'm going to see myself on the TV screen like, oh yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's how I and am. That's how I am. Right. I'm not trying to be someone that I'm, I'm not. You know, you, you called it like winning at the beginning, which for me is not like how, I, I mean, like for me, it was like I went there and I fell in love and it was beautiful. 
Well, that's um, a win. And I just, well, it's you know, nice. Winning is in like a competition. That just doesn't, that doesn't sit right with my soul. I hear you. You know what I mean? I hear you. And, and, and I apologize. No, no, no. It's all, it's all good. It's, it's but I'm saying if there are five or whatever, 20 contestants yeah. on The Bachelorette. What the fuck is sober got to win? Yeah, you, you win. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Um, you know, it makes me feel good. I love that. I love that. And so coming out of it, man, like I, I had no idea. Like I had no idea what, like the way people watch that show. I know people like. Yeah, I, I had no idea. So my life has changed, you know, like, and I've had a couple unfortunate things in in the rooms, I would say, like in the last couple of years, which is like hasn't felt great. Like people knowing you. Just, yeah, just bullshit. People that are just fucking obnoxious. And like, you know, I, I, I just made this decision to say, like, just have love for that person. Like, it's all good. Like, don't take yourself so seriously because it's not that serious, right? Like I went on a television show the thing that is serious is me protecting my sobriety and I'm going to do that at any cost. And I'm not going to give my power away to like a couple idiots. And it's hard though. Like it's easy. Like I, I think your take is like definitely the sober take and the right take. But in the moment, sometimes it's hard of when course. people fuck with you and you get that. Like I, I have this thing, I'm in this weird conflict right now and I know what the sober thing is yeah. and I know not to give it power and I know to give it space and let it go and pray for the resentment but but still it fucking needles at me a little bit I'm with you, you and know? that's just I mean that's life yeah that's why I like I don't know man like the, the we're gonna have problems whether we're sober or not 100% and my life my life right now today like it's very easy to like if I if I write down the pros and cons, like it's it's a pretty significant different, you know. Like okay, fine, I'm 39, I'm single. Like maybe I haven't found the person to like do life with yet, but that's really about the only thing, right? That like, and it'll happen when it happens, and probably like when I least expect it, you know. And 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 all the other shit, my sobriety, this business, the foundation we started, the people we help, like the friends that I have, my family, like I have so many gifts that, you know, I wouldn't have. I mean, the reality is this podcast is about addiction. Like if fentanyl was as readily available as it was, I mean, I wouldn't be here. I mean, I'd be dead. It's like not even close. No, I feel the same way. Uh, and, and that was something that me and Chris talked about together until he could get his hands on it and it killed him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, when you come off of the fame thing, does it challenge your recovery or just kind of the way you talked about in the rooms here and there, people fucking with you? Challenge my mental health. It did. Mental health was definitely challenged. And in ways that like I had never really experienced. And the thing is, like the thing that I love about recovery is you and I can sit here and feel very one, very much like we've known each other forever, right? Because we have there's a lot of that like commonality and identification. There's not a lot of that. Like in that world, like with that thing, it's like you got to kind of almost stay close to some of the guys that have been through right. that experience, you know, because it's like if I'm just talking to my buddy about it, like he has no idea, you what, know, and, then, and like. then there's this whole thing where like kind of like every time your phone rings, someone's asking for something. I'm like, dude, I don't think I can get Taylor Swift tickets. Like, good luck. Like, <laughs> right. You know, and if I do, I'm going to I'm going to go. Right. You know, it's like right. The amount of text messages I got about Taylor Swift tickets. I'm like, you guys, I don't know what you think I am. Like, you're not connected to Taylor Swift. No. Or her people or, you know, why like, would people think you were? Because I mean, because you're because you, you were famous. Yeah. You're yeah. famous. Like it's like, yes. Because they know me and I think they think like, well, I might as well take a flyer here. And it's like, right, right, right. It's interesting. 
It's interesting because I, I do that to people. Like I'm opportunistic in a way that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like I have a friend who just got a gig working with, you know, a famous person. And, and my, my instinct is to be like, hook me up, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I do that all the time. And I'm just starting to realize like, I'm just one of a million people that's bugging this person at this point. Yeah. You know? So it's like, I appreciate what you're saying. I want to tell you one really fucked up thing before we finish. Okay. I think there's a lot of synchronicity in our story. Yeah. Like, I mean, the fact that you knew Chris, like fucked me up. Like when you said that, I, I got chills. Yeah. Um, this street, was the street that um, my wife and I did live birthing classes where I would show up to the live birthing classes with heroin and Xanax in my pocket. Oh my so like that was like 19th street. Yeah. Between, but on uh between fifth and sixth. So right I, here, like literally here. I, yeah. yeah. I feel, I feel like just down the street. Wow. And then um, the, the incident that broke up me and my wife, she was watching the bachelorette and I was in the office in the other room and I'm shooting up and she's watching. And every night she would watch the bachelorette and fall asleep on the couch. And when she turned on the bachelorette, I figured I could get high, yeah, you know, and get ice cream and sit in the yeah, back yeah, room. Yeah. And, and so she puts on the bachelorette and I go into the back room to get high, but she gets up to say good night to me. And we have a baby, you know, we have a baby in the other room uh-huh. and she comes to say good night to me and there's a needle in my lap. And I figured she saw the needle and she didn't. And I confessed, but it was the bachelorette night. Oh my God. So like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like there's something there. And then she left, you know what I mean? And now we're back together and we got another kid. You are. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were apart for, uh, five years and I was trying to get sober. It was, it was, it was, I got sober August 13th, give or take in 2015. And we probably got back together Christmas 2015. It's so funny. I have a guy that works for me here, Blake, who, uh, got divorced and is back with his ex-wife. You know, it's just like that. Those are the stories of recovery. I mean, that's what, like, if you want to explain recovery to someone like that's what you tell them. It's like, I was, I was the commissioner of my fantasy football league with all my friends and I got kicked out of the league for stealing all the money. Like the money at the end of the year was just gone. I'm like, sorry guys. You know, right. like my habit took it. <laughs> and now I am the commissioner of that league again. You've recovered yeah, your commissionership. And like, I, and like, I'm like the most trustworthy guy, which is, you know. It's a beautiful insane. thing. Yeah. And you've recovered your relationship with your folks. And you couldn't recover your relationship with your first wife. You Whatever. Things yeah. happen. You know what I mean? It's like life goes on. You were a kid when you fucking married her anyway. I mean, dude, yeah. It's like she saved my life. I mean that in all of that, she is a saint and a hero. And 100%, you know, like her keeping that boundary allowed me to hit a bottom harder and faster. And like if I would have held on to this false sense of hope that I was going to make it work with her, I would probably be dead. Right. Right. She was the one that said like, hey, dude, the party's over. And she was the first person in my life to really do that. Right. And that was like fucking magic for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, like magic in the sense of, okay, I ran hard for another, you know, six, seven, eight months. But like at no point in that six, seven, eight months was she like, hey, how are you doing? Or like, you know, it's like she and that was probably really hard for her, you know, and that's why I always love to look at the families in, in, in our in the work we do here at Release because. It's one thing for like the, the identified patient or client to struggle. It's another thing for the family, right? And if the family can at least get some tools and some education, it might not be right now, but eventually, hopefully, there'll be a, a recovery. Well, it's, it's, it's hard, right? Yeah, I mean, with, with the families who lose their kids, it's like, how, how do they live with that, you know? And, yeah. and they do. 
You know what I mean? They figure something out. Like, how does Chris's family live with it? That story about your wife is tripping me out. What about it? No, just the whole thing. It's a massive show, dude. It's just a, ma- I mean, like, it's just a create and like. But Dopey or The Bachelorette? No, I'm just both, kidding. Both. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Both. No, I mean, like, The Bachelorette was, it's a huge part of my story. Yeah. It's a huge it's fucking moment. Huge fucking moment. Crazy. And like, all the moments out there, like, like, I mean, how many people were using to your fucking your proposal or something yeah. you know and then how many people got better and how many people came here because they knew that you did dude i was out of i was i was volunteering at the brooklyn marathon last week or two weeks ago and this guy i mean so there's twenty five thousand people running the brooklyn half marathon Twenty five thousand. i am at one water station handing out probably to a hundred people over the course of the day and i hand a cup of water to this guy he takes it from me he takes two steps he turns back around he goes I got sober because of you. Shut up. And he fucking took off. Beautiful. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? And that for me, dude, is all I need to know. Like, keep showing up. All right. Well, I, I cannot tell you what a joy this has been. I'm down to chat anytime. Dude, promote, promote shit. Tell people where to find you and everything. Dude, okay. Um, Release Recovery. Yes. At Release Recovery. At Release Recovery Foundation yes. uh, is our is our handles. ReleaseRecovery.com is, re, you know, check out the work we do. We do a Monday night run in Central Park. If you nice. are looking for a community, looking for connections, not just for sober people, come out. Um, myself, if you want to email me, it's Zach, Z-A-C, at ReleaseRecovery.com. And I think my Instagram is, it's either ZW Clark or Zach W. Clark. You'll figure it out. But that's it. Thank you, Zach. That's <laughs> fucking awesome. You're great. All right, bro. Thank you. Thank you, man. All right, Zach Clark. Thrilling. Thrilling, uh, dopey adventure in my neighborhood where I grew up, right down the street from where we did the first dopey con. And uh, I just, you know, it's always very rewarding to connect with a fellow opiate addict or drug addict or alcoholic in recovery. It always, uh, it feels good. It feels good, which is why I think if you're out there and you're you're not connecting with other addicts and alcoholics and you don't feel good, um, especially if you're in recovery, I mean, if you're using, I think it's, I think it's often more fun to use with somebody and not use alone until, until it's the dark times. But if you're in recovery, it's way more fun to be in recovery with other people. So that's my my big tip. And we're rounding out the end of the show. And I, I mean, in the past six weeks, I've had so many people asking about Jay, what's up with Fentanyl Jay? And I, I wish that I had a... I never wanted to speak for Jay, so I was waiting until he was available. He is available. So I'm going to play... me. This is me and Jay sitting down by the bay in our town of Sayville. That's a lot of A rhymes if you missed it. But before we get to Jay, I just want to say, if you're looking for a recovery podcast, check out Recovery in the Middle Ages. It's Nat and Mike, two middle-aged suburban dads who chop it up on a weekly basis about issues that recovering men and women will be interested in. 12-step stuff, great books. I've gotten to go on their podcast a couple of times. It is available wherever you get your podcast. It's called Recovery in the Middle Ages. Check it out. And here, without further ado to end the show, is the one and only Fentanyl J. 
Oh yeah, before we get to Jay, we use some language that could be very triggering and offensive to some people. So I want to apologize for that. It was not uh, calculated. And moving forward, I will use more discretion when using words that could hurt people. But in this case, I just wanted the spirit of the show to be maintained. Anyway, here's Fentanyl J. Dope a dope Dope a dope Dope a dope Dope a 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 dope dope Hey, what's going on? We are in our spot by the bay. And I'm realizing you call me like to call me Dopey Dave because I gave you the Fentanyl J moniker without even talking about it in the thing. We're good. That's a good duo. Dopey Dave and Fentanyl J. <laughs> um, now, Jay, lots has happened. You haven't yes. been on the show in like six weeks. I'm taking the phone away from okay. you because you can't be trusted. With Pokemon. It's been like six weeks. At Add least. me on Pokemon. All right. Ha- tell them how. I think it's Papa 696969. Six. I have to. Please add me on Pokemon. Well, you're gonna right, get some I'm some Dopey Nation editions. That would be sick. I bet you Claire adds you. That would be sick. Now, before we go down any fun rabbit holes, I don't think you realize the seriousness of your situation. It's pretty serious. Let's make sure everybody knows how to add me on Pokemon real quick because it's actually a uh, a qu- I have to do it to get XP. What's XP? It's important if you want to. Uh, you know, progress in the game. It's the next Pikachu level. Exactly. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh my God. I All can't right. believe you're taking up this Friends. much time. I'm sorry. Your All life right. is I, down I gotta, the toilet and you're looking up Papa sixty nine to add on Pokemon. Yeah, but I don't think that's it's like raw dog Papa sixty nine. I don't even know how to add friends. See, I'm so lost in this game. Someone tell me how to add friends. Oh my Thanks. God, Jay. You don't know how to add people? No. Well, if you if you're still free after this is released, somebody will write at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how Jay can add you as a friend Please. in his Pokemon quest. Oh, I got it. Ready? Yeah. My trainer code, 9642-3027-1055. Add me on Pokemon. Please be my friend. Now, out of everything okay. in the world, why? let's just start with why Pokemon. I don't know, what, man. How did this happen? It's because I don't social media, you know? So, like, I was, you know, and it started at work, actually. I, I started it at work, and everyone already had it, and I never had it. So, I progressed really far in these last three months. I'm, like, a level 29. Because it's basically the only thing you've been working on is drinking, the gym, ladies, and Pokemon. Fourth, is that it? Yeah. Yeah, it's about it. Why don't, everyone needs an update, and you haven't okay. been on... In a long time. It has been a long time. And a lot's me, happened. Let me ask you this. Is there anything negative that can come from you updating the Dopey Nation? No, I don't think so. I think it's... No, it's... And anything that's negative is going to come is already going to come. That ship has already landed. It's already we just sailed. haven't. We just haven't gone to the bay to greet it Exactly. Yet. Okay. Exactly. So, so I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm the spectator. I'm okay. the translator. Tell the Dopey Nation what has happened. Okay. People have asked me... And I, I'm not going to speak for you. Yeah. I can't do that. I think I mentioned that you got drugged once, though. I, yeah, I that might have happened, too. That. Yep. But so let's just start with the big news. Okay. So that night where my friend, 
got a DUI and I was mouthing off to the police, as you know. Saying some pretty racy little stuff. Yeah, some stuff they weren't happy with. No one would be happy with. No one would be happy. Yeah, I was belligerent. Um, you were in a blackout. Though. I was in a blackout. You were yeah. not yourself. Yeah. You were certainly not it's, your best yeah, self. Exactly. Not my best self. I thought nothing came of it, right? Month goes by, month and a half goes by. I'm out at a bar, and my dad calls me. He goes, Jay, there's fucking four cops. Well, they left, but it's because my dad's kind of hip to it by now, you know? He's like, four cops were just at the house looking for you. They're fucking putting gloves on. They're waiting by the back door. They're like, they're like, where is he? Why gloves? Because I guess they think I was going to run out the back door or something. I so don't what know. are the gloves for? That's what they fucking do. They're fucking crooked and... Um, Jay. They're, Jay. <laughs> that's what they do. But what are the gloves for? To, to make, look cool? I don't know, because they don't look cool. To grab you? Yeah. They're gla- grabby gloves? Yeah. Like the <laughs> grabby gloves. Gloves, sticky gloves. <laughs> to grab you? All right. So, so they're there. They put the gloves on. Yup. My dad's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, like, what's this about? What's this about? And they're like, oh, we just want to talk to him about stuff, whatever. He's not under arrest. We just want to talk to him, blah, 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 blah. But they're liars. So, tread tread lightly, I'm my sorry. friend. Sorry, <laughs> tread lightly. So, the cops. I can't tell the story without you can say it without you, <laughs> without, you without can just say shitting it. all over the place. Just so. tell the story. Okay, okay, okay. The fucking crooked cops oh, came boy. to my house. Oh. They fucking. So why do you think they came to your house? They came to my house looking for retribution. Looking for retribution. But why didn't they deal with you the night of? <laughs> Because they're crooked and it's a lie. So they come to my house. My dad calls me. Uh, he's like, what the fuck? And now he's freaking out. He thinks they're picking me up for Ohio. I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm like, yo, what the fuck? Like, this is weird. I, he didn't know. If I was home, I would have known it was the same cops. But he obviously doesn't know. So um, I'm like, what the fuck, man? Have you verified that it is the same people? Yeah, because, yeah, it was. Because when I went to turn myself. So I call my lawyer. Uh, I'm like, bro, fucking bunch of cops are at my house. They said they want to talk to me. Um, Do you call your lawyer, bro? Yeah. <laughs> no, did I? I probably did. I was No, I was in a panic, though, so I probably might. I was like, dude, I definitely dropped a dude, though, you know? Yes. Like, this is this is nuts. These cops are at my house. They're looking for me. They said they want to talk. They've, I've, they've caught me like that. I've been dumb enough before to think that they just want to talk, you know, and then go and get arrested. So, and my dad... So that's why you called the lawyer. First, yeah, yeah. So to prevent, to prevent that. Exactly. From so they left the number. Because also you could potentially be locked away for a long for, time. For yeah, oh. for a long fucking time. Off of this. Yeah. So because we I, we had no idea what it was about. No. No. And then idea. hold on. Anybody who's never listened to the show before. Yeah. We call Jay Fentanyl Jay because Jay got arrested with five thousand pills of fentanyl in mm. Ohio. Mm. Jay hasn't been sentenced. There's yep. a case. Pending in Ohio, so when the cops come to uh, give Jay a warrant, Jay is afraid that mm-hmm. Ohio fucking sentencing is going to kick in. That they're coming for me. Right. Yeah. So I, uh, so I call my lawyer. He's like, "Can't do anything about it tonight. Don't go home. Fucking, I'm gonna f- figure this out." In the morning. It was late. It was like ten. It was like you know nine or t- eight, eight, in between eight and ten o'clock or something. You know, it was nighttime. So he's like, uh. I'm going to call in the morning. We're going to figure this out, blah, blah, blah. And then the other thing is, like... Do you sleep good that night? Do I got hammered. hammered. Yeah. <laughs> I got I got pretty drunk. And, I, you know, I was thinking, because, you know, I, I need to get on top of it because I don't want them coming to my job. I don't want... You know, if it's for something, they'll, they'll figure out where the fuck you're at. They're 
if they're looking for you, they're going to find you. And if you have a job, you know, if you do anything in life, they'll find you. It's just a matter of time, you know. And you've built up a, a pretty nice life in, yeah. your, in your quote unquote free life yeah. that if this comes and it intrudes on that, then all is lost. Then it's fucked. Then yeah. it's like back to the basics, you know. So they came and they. Uh, Did you ever see the movie Alpha Dog? Yeah, great. Great movie. Remind, yeah, Shout I, out to I, Timberlake. I watched bro. it last night. It's a sick one. You would fit into that crew. He's what would guy. you do in that situation? Would you? Would you? I, I couldn't kill the kid, no, bro. You kill That's the kid. fucked up, bro. I, anyway, back to this. Timberlake was cool about it though. He was like sad, right? He's the one who really cost the kid his life. In yeah, that, but though. did he kill him though? No, the other kid killed him. The other him. kid was a dickhead. Timberlake is such a fucking pussy that he couldn't like man up and be like, he, bro. he brings the kid to his death. Yeah, but, oh, yeah, he walked him up the hill, walked right? Walked him up the hill. Oh, fuck, but he showed him a good time. He did. That's true. You know, back to not the story. worth the life. Just back to the story. Right. We'll, we'll do another alpha alpha dog story uh, later. Love Timberlake, though. Great looking dude. All right, back to the All story. Right. Uh, okay, back to the story. Fucking, oh, so I'm fucking, I call my lawyer. He's like, yo, Jay, I'm going to call in the morning. Don't go home. Don't go to anyone's houses that, you know, don't go to your mom's house, don't go to your dad's house, don't go anywhere where you they, you think that, you know, that you normally are, whatever. I was like, okay. So he's basically saying evade Yeah, the yeah law. evade until tomorrow and so, we'll so figure this do? out. So he calls in the morning and tells me, okay, they're arresting you for a felony criminal mischief charge. I was like, huh? Like, what are you talking about, dude? He's like, yeah, it's a felony criminal mischief charge charge just turn yourself in uh, first they're fucking liars they said i wasn't under arrest when they came to my dad but of course they would because they're liars and i don't um, think this is helping your situation and they're fucking crooked jason i'm sorry no okay S listen i we want to help your situation those ones were crooked maybe allegedly Definitely. allegedly okay the so they're we're gonna use. they're allegedly because we're gonna we're gonna try to keep you we want your this is not your whole life right here mm. your life is gonna be a long road and to take the long road, you need to play play it safe sometimes. Why do we got to play nice and safe with these guys, bro? Because what if, like, the judge is is a huge Dopey fan? And you well, should know. Well, then he should know that these cops are crooked and that it's a lie. Well, mate, you hurt their feelings by, by calling them. That's what it was. Seriously. And you know what? When I was off it that night, I had my phone out the whole time because I knew I like I was I was doing something, you know, they, they could have arrested me for public intoxication, held me in a drunk take for six disorderly hours, conduct. disorderly conduct, all bullshit. I didn't do anything well, seriously I mean, if criminal. I, if I was there, I would have arrested you for disorderly conduct. I probably would or, have arrested or me too. Or public intoxication. I would have arrested me for both. Yeah. But those are like fucking tickets, bro. Fine. You know? But you yeah. should have gotten I should have I would have rather that that. none of this would have happened. Know? But they were plotting on me, dude. They, they, from the night of that Dewey, they fucking said that I, well, my phone was out the whole time because I know I would have got arrested, like, for sure, if it wasn't, bro. I would have. And they would have made some shit up. So I'm fucking, so they arrest me they for uh, an E felony, criminal mischief. They claim, which is literally a lie, they claim that I kicked their cop car, Right. Which you didn't. Don't you think if I kicked the fucking cop car, they would have arrested They would have fucking got me. They waited a month and a half. I can't believe I up. had you tell the story, and this is the story you're going to tell. And you know what fucking happens, bro? They probably crashed their fucking car, drunk, and then, oh, like, oh, we're going to fucking say that this kid fucking kicked my car. Some asshole probably hit a fire hydrant. I think you're out of touch with your, with, with your fear. What? Listen, 
shit is coming down and so all wait, you're wait, fucking wait, wait, giving the middle finger so, to the cops when so, you're all shit is breaking. So this is what loose. I think happened. Ready? They ran. Oh, this is what leads to the bigger problem. Ready? Oh, boy. So they land. They I guess they you know it was in my car the Dewey so they knew my name and all the stuff so they ran my name mm, this is where it gets very this is where it gets dicey yeah so i love the police actually um big supporter shout out to the cops. shout out to the cops <laughs> yeah County. um i love how the plot unfolds in your head <laughs> as you tell the story all right so, so they run my name yes they find out yes. that there's a warrant like, for oh, my arrest. Jason yeah. Fentanyl J. That's the one. <laughs> Fentanyl Jason. Right. So they find out there's a warrant for my arrest, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Out of Ohio. Yeah. And I think I got them so mad that night that once they find found that out, they were looking for a way to arrest me to try to hold me. So you think that how do you, if you were to take a guess, mm -hmm. at what point are they like, wait a second? That kid looked half Korean. There's only one half Korean in this town, and that's Fentanyl and Jack. And that's him. That's the guy. I think they I think they noticed. How many half Koreans do you think live in our town? I don't know any. You know one. You. I know me. <laughs> yeah. And your sister. Yeah. I don't know. Yep, that's it. Yeah. yeah. So, easily, so they, they easily diagnosable. You know, these cops put the pieces together, yes. bro. And so what I think, I don't know. This is speculation now. I think they arrested me to hold me to call Ohio to say, hey. they think the Ohio's going to come get yeah, you. Yeah, like, right? hey, we have fucking him here. Do you want to fucking come pick him up, right? So they did that. They held me for whatever. I guess they my lawyer called before, so they had, like, things ready to go because now they knew they can't talk. To, once you have a lawyer call the police, they can't talk to you. They can't ask they you can questions. They can only talk to the lawyer. That's it. It's yeah. done. So, like, so I guess they had everything figured out beforehand. And when I went there, Ohio didn't want to pick me up from New York. They weren't going to, quote, unquote, expend their resources to come get me from New York to bring them back there. Because it's, it's from their pocket if they do that. You know what I mean? So I guess that's what I think they did. That's what I think happened. I think they were trying to see if Ohio wanted to pick me up. So then now I'm pissed off and I call my Ohio lawyer like, what do you mean I have a warrant? Like I, I'm out on a $100,000 bail. I paid you a lot of money. If I missed a court date, I sh if I had a court date, I should have been informed. You know, I called them, you know, like, what's going on? Like, what was all this money for? But I guess in that county, in Madison County, I I spoke to him. He's like, yeah, on our system is not coming up. This is what that could mean. It's that in Madison County, in that specific county in Ohio, they exercise what's called a secret indictment. So from the day I got arrested, they had two years to indict me. Um, that just passed the two years just passed so what instead of doing a, a public indictment so that's what we've been waiting for this whole time yes the indictment indicted, yeah. and you did get indicted secretly the secret indictment yeah, yeah. is in yeah so it. that's the first announcement is he didn't get you didn't get away with it i didn't get away with it. the no. indictment is in yeah i gotta face some music one day one day you, <laughs> in the meantime yeah you're getting hammered yeah slinging tacos exactly fucking i gotta get better before i i gotta be better before i go in what does that mean i just gotta be better bro i just got it's not so ohio, in a good state let's, of mind right now to do it to oh, go to go to prison ohio decided not to come get you yes so they're so, basically like just live so they're basically yeah if i were to never leave this but here's the thing it's all circumstantial in the future so the lawyer said about about ten percent of cases, one in ten, get. When did you talk to the lawyer? 
right after this happened. Like I'm talking about when when right after I got arrested. Right before we met at the playground. Yeah, exactly. So um, they said that about ten percent of these cases get a secret indictment, felonies, F1 felonies, like the bad felony you can get in Ohio, like a first degree felony. So they said that they especially exercise secret indictments on drug cases Big of drug that cases. stature, because if they make it public record, if you are in a drug case of that stature, you normally have the means to flee before, yeah, yeah, flee wherever the fuck you're going like to go. Like Alpha Dog. Exactly, like Alpha Dog. And they caught him they in caught fucking Ecuador They caught his ass. Yeah. He lived a while, though. Not that long. Then he lived a little. Like five years with blonde hair. You want blonde, dye your hair blonde oh, and live for five years? Blonde. Then you get snatched up and you do fucking the hard time. You do the hard time, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'm saying you go in now. Oh, Johnny True Love. Yes, Johnny True Love. Oh, JT. Listen. Is he the guy that killed... He didn't pull the trigger. Did no, he? he's the biggest pussy. Yeah, it's it's Elvis, his yeah, boy. He's Elvis. a dickhead. The three of them are are the real guys are locked away for life now. Fucking and all those. Listen, this is what we need to do. I I am obviously not a lawyer. I'm not anything. I work in a deli. I, I, have, I have podcasts. Whatever. Listen, you got to get it fucking together. Yeah. You got to get it together. Yep. I, and this is going to sound very corny. And I said it to Jay before I gifted him with a lot of dopey merchandise in Shout my garage. Shout out to Dopey Dave for the dopey merch. All right. Ixnay on the OP Dave. <laughs> um, listen, what I'm saying it's is. It's OPD. OP Day. OP Day. OP Day. OP Dave. OP Day. Ave Day. OP Day. Ave Day. That's better than Dopey OP, Dave. OP Dave. Just stop. Okay. OP Day. Ave Day. Listen, my name is Dave from Dopey. <laughs> Enough. Listen, and you're going to think this is corny, and okay. I said it to you walking into my garage, and Dopey Nation, listen up, because I'm on fucking next level here. Oh, fuck. My recovery has come first. You look at me. Have I ever looked so happy to you? I- look at me. <laughs> you need to do the same. Yes. You put it first. You go away. We write the book. Confessions of a fentanyl dealer. You fucking come out. Five to ten years, whatever it is. Rich man. Speaker Rich circuit, man, man. making movies, like, like your boy that. George Young. You Shout out be, to George Young. R.I.P. to the God, right? Listen, okay. my point is, yeah. that's a plan. What you're doing now is not a plan. It's not a plan. Fucking getting hammered, selling time. tacos, occasionally managing a successful taqueria. We're, it's it's fine. We're biding time. However, time? biding time. Biding time. However, it's time. It, you got to go face the music. Yeah, and it's coming. It's not time. It's, it's time. It's coming. What are you waiting for? You're, know. You know what you're waiting for? Right. To get arrested on some dumb shit. Be- and then you fucking, you're, you're not, you don't want to go that way. And that's what you're saying. You've already decided you have to go that way. Yeah. Yes or no? Have you decided that you need to get dragged out of New York? That you need to murder somebody? Some and horrible- then just get fucking yeah, it's like, slammed. It's like, it's like. And Fentanyl Jay I'm becomes idiot, murderer huh? Jay, yeah. suicidal Jay. Yo, You're better than I'm that. A... Sociopathical <laughs> Jay. Listen, <laughs> psychopathical Jay. No. Listen, that's a path. Ixnay that. That's a path. It doesn't have to be the path. Mm-hmm. I'm not even joking. No, I know. I'm being really serious. I know you are. You're tan. Very tan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, you know, I go tanning. I have a tanning bed in my Shut basement. Up. I do. That's what I do. And I go, I'm done doing this. I go tan. Can I, can I use it? Yeah, anytime. Okay. No, I don't have a tan. <laughs> I know. Anyway, listen. Can you please? I mean, how many times do I have to beg you to consider to do the next right thing? Well, I'm going to do the next right thing. 
more at some point. When not, maybe not the very next right thing. All right, I'm gonna read you an email. All right, fine. What are you gonna say? You're gonna say some cockamamie fucking bullshit. No. no. What does ixnay actually mean? Ixnay mm. is no. How? I don't know. It's a it's a it's a, it's a different derivation of pig Latin that mm. we're not familiar with. Okay. Right? Stumped you. Oh, gotcha. This is the first time I gotcha. You I got problems. Yeah. You got serious fucking. <laughs> I can't see this. I think I'm losing my vision. All right. Don't say that. You ready? It's aging yourself. That's not. Yeah, I'm fucking old. I just turned 49. Shut up. 49. I told my friends last week you were 39. 49. Or 37. 49. Remember when I, I called you? I called you, right? No, you didn't call I'm me. I'm pretty sure I called you. Like, yo, how old are you actually? You didn't call me. And you, and you did not wish me a happy birthday. Shut up. Horrible. Anyway. Wait. We're, and you called. What? When was your birthday? <laughs> last week. No, yeah. it wasn't. You no. didn't even tell me, bro. I think I did tell you. No, you fucking didn't. I think didn't. you've been too hammered. And no, fucking, don't. Don't you. All no. cops are bastarding and no. all that. You know about that? ACAB? Yeah. A-C-A-B? All cops are bastards? Oh, really? It's a club That's that a you thing? should look into. More than Pokemon Go. Is that is that a thing? Yeah, anyway. It's like a punk rock thing. All right. Hey, Dave. I've been listening since about month five. I'm a drug counselor in Washington State and have referred more than a few people to your podcast. With everything going on with Fentanyl J, I figured I would offer my services. Now, just understand something. There's a guy in Washington who's asking about you. There's a guy in England, James Glennie, who designed a lot of those hats. uh, Big shout out to Glennie. He's constantly asking about you. People are constantly asking about you worldwide. It's so nuts, dude. Let me just keep going. I have no fucking perception of... That's because people aren't showing up at your restaurant anymore. You know? That's over. That happened already, right? It's over. I don't know why, though. Anyway, here we go. That was an exciting time for me when people were excited that you were on the show. Here we go. This is more important. With everything going on with Fentanyl J, I figured out offer my services. I am currently working with people who have been recently released from federal prison and living in halfway houses. Working in this position, I have access to some of the Department of Justice documents on current cases. If you can have me contact, if you can have him contact me with his case number, I'm willing to look up his file. And this is before this news, obviously. Mm-hmm. Look up this file and see if there are any new developments on it. Mm. Would that help at this point? I don't know. Just because he hasn't heard anything in a while, unfortunately, does not mean <laughs> Scott he knows. is out of the woods. I have had several people that I have worked with that their indictment came down a couple years after they last heard about the feds uh, about their case. One was five years later. See. And the, the person had been clean for three years when they were picked up. See. That sounds like he's probably doing better than you know who. Uh, worst case scenario. So if they come pick me up in five years, I could be three. You could be like for three years. <laughs> worst case. I'm not even gonna. I'm not gonna acknowledge that 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 <laughs> that thing. Worst case scenario, and and he does go to prison after a year and a half long clusterfuck. What does BOP stand for? BOP seems to be getting the calculations down right for people's first step act credits. And I've had more than one person whose time was cut short by several months. Board even, of parole. Board of parole. Even after already getting a year off and were surprised with being released. So make sure to let him know that mm. programming is extremely important. And you could end up with 18 months off your sentence for doing RDAP, which is the residential drug treatment program that the board of parole offers. Mm. If that's what BOP stands for. If he doesn't qualify for his first step credit, several of my people that were disqualified for first step credits have left the prison a year or more early, 
getting extended time at the halfway house released on RRC. I don't know what that is. Mm-mm. Because of RDAP completion. The catch on that is they have to stay active in aftercare the entire time they're at the RRC. And I know you don't want to do that. But you do want 18 months off the sentence. Definitely. This is what I'm talking about. And I, I see that gleam in your eye, and I see behind the gleam in your eye is getting hammered. Jay, are you willing to consider doing the next right thing? You know, yes. my dad is very concerned about oh, you. Oh, man. You know that, right? Fucking hell. Very, very concerned. Man. So, Jay, I told Linda your thing. She's like, oh, maybe he should just flee the country and go to Spain. Fucking Become Linda. Become a, re- a waiter in Spain. I fucking love Linda. Do you too. want to just be a waiter in Spain? Maybe not a waiter. What do you want to do? I don't know. Jay, I think you need to fucking go set the record straight. Do this shit. We'll write the book. You'll be rich. You'll be the next George Young. You don't relapse. You get it together. No, George Young did it way bigger. We got if if I want to be George Young. What? We're gonna have to go harder. No, no, go. you've done plenty. You've done plenty of the bad stuff. All mm. we have to do is write the book. The book gets adapted to the movie. Some strapping young half Korean plays you and, and you become rich. Asians in movies are coming up too. Big time. You big, didn't like beef though. Big rice. was my favorite. You didn't make it past the second episode. I didn't make it past the second episode. Did you make it past the first? Yeah. Yep. The kid in beef is very Fentanyl J-esque. Did you watch the kid? The the brother. Yeah. The brother. Yeah, who fucks the... the <laughs> yeah. That's, you don't think so? Yeah, no, he's a good kid. Yeah. I like him. I like him. I liked him. All right, Jay. Is there anything else you want to add before we go? What, honestly? Yeah. You, you're pretty fucking blase. Yep. So. I, I, I fucking plan on doing the next right thing. There's thousands of people in our audience. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. It's, so, it's, I forget. It's split. A lot of Fentanyl J lovers. Lots of hate. Not a lot of indifference. A little bit of hate. Everybody, <laughs> everybody wants you to do the next right thing. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, say fuck you, fuck Jay, him. fuck yeah, the cops, yeah, yeah. fucking burn it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay, the future is long. Yeah, Life is, is long, yeah. life is short. Is there anything that I can say? Mm-hmm. What? What can I say that I haven't said already? Nothing. Is there anything I can do? Nope. You've done that. You've done everything. I'm not anything. I give you half. You've hats. done everything. Put you on the show. What do I do? You speak to me. You're my friend. I am your friend. My friend. So what's the plan? It's to do better and be better one day. Soon, 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 soon. Uh, pr- wait. So. Yes. If I come back on the show. Yes. In two weeks, a month, a month. Not. So say, you're not. You're you're saying you're not turning yourself in in the next four weeks. No. Nah. No. 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 I need to be fucking good for a little bit. How much good time do you need? This is. A, I need this the is, summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Labor Day. Last time Jay was like, I think Memorial Day, I'm going to get sober again. And then Jay got like two days clean and he's like, all right, that was done for Memorial Day. Jay, quick, tell the story about you getting drugged. Oh, fuck. Did they fuck you? No. They I, didn't have their they way with you? They could have, bro. They could have. I wouldn't know, but thankfully someone was there to save me. I went to the gay beach for fucking Memorial Day because I love partying with fucking gay people i love everyone i fucking have a good time i'm fucking what about gay cops gay gay cops i'm probably a lot cooler than straight cops if i'm being honest 
<laughs> you, you should know? say that to the judge when you go when, yeah. they, when oh, they ask you why you call it the faggot cock. I know. You should say they that. They should know that. You like, should say I'm, I'm not super tight with like my homeboys are gay. They, they should say, know I'm that. I'm not a homophobe. I'm not a racist. I'm just a blackout alcoholic. I, yeah, I'm a blackout alcoholic who's also a minority. So I felt like you felt pressed. Yeah, yeah, I felt pressed. But I was in a black. You have. I was in a blackout. I was definitely. And a I'm not. A but racist, I wasn't a complete homophobe. blackout because I know I didn't kick the cop car. Because I. Well, when does the when does the 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 footage tomorrow? When does the footage come out? I think he's getting it tomorrow. No way. Yeah. And you were supposed to go to court to get ties, and instead you got hats. Oh, to the mall. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yep. I'm sorry, to the mall. Yep, I got hats. I got two hats. You didn't get a tie. I didn't get a tie, no. Do you have a tie? No, I don't have a tie. Do you want a tie? Uh, I have a tie. Do you have like a navy blue tie, you think? I don't know if I have a navy. Why do you need a navy blue tie? Because I got like a blue shirt. Like a checkered blue shirt. Are you I don't wear think a I need to wear a tie. You don't, but it would show that you're very serious. It would, right? Yeah. It'd mean like business. Do you need a tie? Um, take a tie. All right. All right. I'll take a tie. Take a tie. I can take a tie. Now, back to the thing. Oh, yeah. They fucking jugged me. I, I went out partying at the gay beach because it was a good time. And I was with a bunch of my friends. But uh, somewhere in translation, I fucking drank some shit that tasted What's like- What's translation? Like, you know, somewhere in, in well, the okay, middle. Okay, okay. In the, okay, in the, in the night. Yeah, yeah okay. somewhere somewhere in there. You have a wild life. Translation, <laughs> yeah, stuff you, like that? you were in Fire Island? Yeah, I was nice. at Cherry Grove. How'd you lit. get over there? Fucking ferry. You took the ferry? Yeah, bro. Hammered guess what? on the ferry? Yeah, yeah, I was drinking all that. And guess what, bro? When I got there, fucking maybe an hour in. Two hours in, bro. Fucking drank some shit. I don't know if it was my cup, if it was someone else's cup, if they were drinking it for fun and I accidentally drank it instead. But I fucking, I was like, ew, that shit tastes like salt water and fucking sour mix. Like, what the fuck was that, dude? What's your drink? Fucking tequila. Just straight tequila. Tequila with like a splash of lime juice. A little lime? Yeah, yeah. Just tequila and lime? Yeah, well, maybe a little splash of agave too. Maybe a little sweetener. You've become a horrible alcoholic. It's bad, right? Yeah, it's yeah, bad. It's bad. Do you miss drugs? But at this I can. Point? Fuck. Once in I don't a while. even think about it. Never. Though. Never. Never. Because I was so fucked up. I got it was, it was so bad. Never. Like I think about like, ooh, what would it feel like to be high, you know? But I'm not like, oh, I'm gonna do that. When or, you think that, what's the drug that pops into your crack? And I'm I'm shocked Me you too. haven't gone on some major crack run. Yeah, I don't even fucking. I didn't even why? like it when I did it. So bro. so that's why. Because there's that no was, pleasure. That no, yeah yeah maybe just to hate myself. I don't know, but. Fucking when I did do that shit, bro, I know I didn't like it, but it was like the fucking that's like the biggest rush. Rush. The biggest one. So so, so you drink the this shit, bro. Soury. I think it was G, because I looked up GHB because I looked up all the the, the, symptoms? the the symptoms. You think some suitor was yeah. looking for a piece and, of the action? And dude, he could have fucking dragged me. Bro, I stumbled out of there, bro. I couldn't even walk straight. You think I, it was GHB or Ruf, Ruhypno? I, 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 from the symptoms I read was GHB. And then I told, I was telling this girl, like, yeah, the symptoms and shit. And I told her, but she's the one that looked it up. I didn't look it up. You know me. I'm not fucking going, you know. I just know it's a drug I've never done. Wait, so you said, so she looked up the symptoms? Yeah, well, I was explaining the symptoms. Like, who that was I the felt. girl? This girl I know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and she looked up the symptoms. And she, and I said the salt water thing, like it tasted like, it tasted like salt, like someone scooped some water out of the ocean and mixed it with sour mix and I drank it. That's what it tastes like to me. And she's the one that told me that that, she showed me something and said that if it's like straight, it tastes like, it, that's what it tastes like. So I'm pretty sure that's what it You've was. You've never done GH. No, no, no. Me neither. No. I missed that. Maybe I have now. Did you do a bunch of dust? Yes, I've done dust. A bunch of dust? Not a bunch. Like a handful. All right. So... You stumble out of there. Dude, Whoever was walk. trying to get you vision missed out on you. Was tunnel visioning. I was how did tunnel you get visioning. back across the? And the you bay? know how I know it's fu- bro. I've been thrown up from drink. I don't throw up from. I've got an iron stomach, bro. 
You know what I mean? I started puking uncontrollably. I only had two drinks and a fucking like three shots, which is like that's nothing breakfast. For you. Right. You know what I mean? I fucking was throwing up uncontrollably. Don't remember anything from that point. From the time I threw up, don't remember anything, right? You think it was GHB poisoning? I think so. Nah. I think they poisoned me. And do you, do you have an idea of anybody that was whining and dining you? While I you have were at no the bar? idea. I was, I'm such a flirt, dude. I'm flirting with all these guys. Man, I'm like, woman, you know, child, it doesn't animal, matter, dude. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. Um, and how'd you get back? I fucking, I guess, what happened was I took the ferry right over there, yes, right? Yes, I get off, and I do, this is when I get a little bit of memory. I just remember, like, walking, and I'm trying to tell myself, like, yo, put this foot in front of this foot and fucking walk straight. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I just kept on trying to tell myself to walk straight, like, trying to, like, control my body, you know what I mean? Who were you at? And I kept on... Flab of like you were alone or with your I was, friend. I was with a friend. Yes, and I'm fucking going like this. She said like fucking off, and I walked all the way home from the ferry with her. She just followed. She's like I tried calling Uber. I don't remember this. She's like I tried calling Ubers. I was not having it. She didn't drive. No, we walked. Wow. And bro, fucking. She's like I tried calling Ubers. weren't fucking having it. Fucking. I didn't even have a ticket. They're like, sir, sir. He's. Like, she's like, you just kept your head down and fucking walked. You didn't have a ticket for the ferry. No, just Did kept she walking. No, I just walked. Just done. Gone. Now, I want to ask you a really rough question. Go ahead. Okay. Years ago, you and I sat basically here. Yeah. We, you told your whole story. The episode yeah. was called Confessions of a Fentanyl Dealer. Yeah, we sat like over there. I think. Yes. It yeah. was winter. The sun was going down. It was picturesque. You were sober. Super grateful to be sober. Yeah. Fucking devastated at the shit you had gone through. Mm. Hopeful for the future. Mm. And now... GHB poisoning. Yeah. Fuck, you know. Felony arrest. Felony arrest. Yeah. Fucking hammered nightly. Not super hopeful for the future. Less hopeful for the future. Less. Less hopeful for the future. For sure. How do you weigh it out, Jay? I don't, bro. I should, though. Can we try? Yeah, I'm going to try. What can we do? Is there anything that can be done? What will it take? Jesus. Jesus. All right. Well, listen, I, I want you to just think about this. Mm. You don't want to get arrested. You don't want to fucking, you don't want to get arrested. I think you want to go in on your own terms. But I, I can't so. say the same thing over and over again. I mean, I do. So I guess I can. <laughs> you, I, guess I, can. I think we'll leave it there. I don't need to say the same thing. I love you. I love you too, David. I have crazy hope. Mm -hmm. um, but you need, to, you need to want it for yourself as much as I do. What will it take, Jay? You say the end of the summer. You say Labor Day. Labor Day. I say fucking the 4th of July. 4th of July. You got to get it together, it's man. that easy. 4th of July, done. And then what? And then what? how much time do you need on the good path before you go away? Um, Are, do you have the courage to go to Ohio and turn yourself in? I don't know. That's a fucked up question. Courage. It's a... Do It's courage. I don't know. Balls. It's courage. What is it? Stupidity? Yeah. So you're, you do not. That's the, <laughs> that's the answer. What is it to turn yourself in? Is it courage? Is it stupidity? Is it balls? What is it, Jay? It's fucking... It, it's probably... Facing the music. Yeah, exactly. It's probably a good a good word that I can't think of. It's probably not a bad word. Yeah, that, stuff like that. Yeah. It's probably Maturity. one of those words, but I don't have that yet. Well, what's it going to take? I don't know. What are you going to do? Fucking... Yup. <laughs> Well, this has been another installment of the Fentanyl J uh, saga. saga. Yo, I knew you were going to say that. Ah, that's my boy. Fucking stay Yo. strong, Dopey. Uh, anyone who has a comment, send it in to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Pray for Jay. Pray for Jay. Don't be mean. I love you guys. Pray for Jay. So and Jay, yeah. 
Today is June 12th. Yep. It's like whatever. We're thinking July 12th. You're thinking 30 days? 30 of days. Drinking? I'll probably 30 have days of 30, 30 more days. days of I'll drinking. probably have 25 days. Good. So you're saying five more days of drinking? Saying give, Why? Or, give or take. What, what's happened just in this moment? I just, just you got some hopes. Yeah, a little, just a little, hope? little bit. It was here right now. All right. Well, we'll leave it where we always do. It's always a pleasure. Love Thank you. you for informing the Dopey Nation of your whereabouts. Stay strong, everybody. Pray for Fentanyl J and fucking toodles for Chris. Fucking toodles. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. Want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. And I wonder would they pay it any mind. Leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good so bad want to be good so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had